Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The following podcast may contain some strong language and adult themes. If you've got young children around, maybe save it until they've gone to bed. If you really don't like bad words, this pod probably isn't for you. Welcome to the Making Up the Numbers podcast. The Making Up the Numbers podcast is sponsored by Hope Technology, JTEC Suspension, Revolution Bike Park, Ride Southern Spain, Schwalm, and the world's finest independent mountain bike magazine, Single Track. Previously on the Making Up the Numbers podcast. So tell us a little bit about the Dream Crusher. What's it like sitting in the hot seat and there's one rider between you and your first World Cup win and you know it's Omri. At the top, I wasn't even that nervous because I thought he was going to get it 100%. So I definitely thought he was going to get it. Like I was like, oh, he'll win for sure. So whatever, like it's pretty cool. Yeah. And then he was at 1.8 back. So I was like, well, I've smoked him there. And then it turns out he smoked me somewhere else. But and then Andy Cobb's like, you've got it, you've got it. And I was like, honestly, I don't think I do because you're saying it. Like I really even like reverse psychology and like weird shit. And I'm like, you're saying I've got it too much. It isn't going to fucking happen now. I'm like, shut the fuck up, Andy. Being second is like, it can be hard, you know, especially I think behind your teammates. But I think he's younger and he really like appreciating every moment, every good moment. So for sure in my case, if I finish second behind him, I'm like, fuck it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm older, you know, we have, I'm five years old more than him. So you have less time. yeah, you have plenty of time to play with. For me, it's not the same. So are you a fan of Fort William? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not fan. I really like this track. 
because it's uh, really tough, long and strange, but I've never been really, really good uh, on this track. So that's why my goal was to be the best prepared I can for this race. And I was really stoked about this place because second in front of William, uh, it's amazing. And when you, even if I was just really close to the win, uh, Amory has been good for years on this track. So second place was like a win for me in William. And then, then I came back like when the surgeon told me that I was good, but I wasn't really, I was like still in pain. And then I fall over and I hit a hole and I just bent my arm, like it bent all the metal plate. Oh, I remember um, that. Yes, yeah, so I had like this bent arm. <laughs> and then I raced Leo Gang anyway, because I just couldn't believe it that it was that bad. So I was like, this is not possible. My arm's like broken. <laughs> and I'm racing in Leo Gang and I was just like telling myself that it's okay, but it wasn't. I, I still qualified, so I was like, that was good. Hello, and welcome to our final episode of 2022. And in this episode, we're going to be returning to the Enduro Arena for the first time this year as we chat with two-time EWS champion Richie Rude. Then we'll be catching up with Mr. Performex, Todd Schumlich, about training Richie and Aaron and lots of others, and his side hustle, which is, of course, running the Intense Factory Racing Team. But first... In case you've been sleeping under a bush for the last few days, there was a big announcement by the UCI and DSO last week. The lead stories from it are that the EWS and the EWSE are being incorporated into the UCI family and will now become UCI Mountain Bike World Cups. And downhill? Well, there's some new new rule changes that I don't know about everyone else, but they, they made my head spin a bit when, when I was reading them. But thankfully... Alongside me are a couple of people who have a better grasp of it than I, I'm sure. Uh, Jack and Emmy, where to start? Well, I think we've got to be careful, haven't we? Because we've got, got, what, half an hour to do this intro? And we could talk about this for about 24 hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with how are you doing? Merry Xmas to you both. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And I think, firstly, um, I'd like to take the opportunity. I haven't prepared anything. <clears throat> Yeah. But I think uh, as the last podcast of 2022, I think myself and everybody listening, thanks to you, George, um, the podcast is absolutely killing it. Um, and all the work you do behind the scenes, like me and Emmy just turn up and I chat. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah oh, all thank the prep. You. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think I'd just like to say on behalf of, of me and everyone listening, thank you and keep at it because it's oh. sick. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. Very what well. a lovely way to wrap up the year. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the interesting stuff. First thing I noticed uh, was that the, the this race number allocation. So there'll be season-long race numbers for the top 10 men and top five women. And those numbers will be based on the final standings of the previous season. So to rock the number one plate from now on, you need to have won the series. Thoughts on that? Good thing, bad thing? Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's um, you could have mixed emotions about that, but yeah. one one side is, and I think it's also what Cam said. Like as the overall winner, if you don't have that, you ha- actually have nothing. Like yeah. you you turn up to the first race, you lose the number one, maybe, and then like it's gone forever. And it's a big achievement. So I think it's like it's pretty cool. Like in Formula One, when you win the the championships, you can choose to run the number one or not. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. And other sports did it before. Yeah. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but you could also say, for example, that they, you could, they can run it maybe to a larger number of people, not only top 10 and top five, you know? Yeah. 
You could, but also, yeah. you could also say like it doesn't represent the current overall, so it will be maybe harder for people to follow who is actually doing well that season. But um, my personal opinion, I think it's pretty cool to make a change, and maybe if they could add like a a color to the to the current overall, like a red plate for like someone that's leading overall, that could be better for like the overall understanding. But I like it. Yeah, that's a nice idea. I like that one too. Yeah, I like it as well. I think it's good. Jack? Um, yeah, I completely agree with what you said about it's. It would be easy to have mixed feelings about it. I, I do. Um, I gave it a little bit of thought earlier today and I, I don't like it more than I like it. A um, couple of reasons <laughs> for that. Um, I think it's that first race when everyone turns up with their, their numbers reflecting their performance on the previous season. It's like, yeah, 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 cool. But especially next year there's what are we are we going to wait nine months between the last round of 2022 and the first round of 2023 and then we're going to move on the following weekend to Lille gang after lens eyed and that top 10 there's going to be no reflection in the numbers on what's happening in the here and now and i think alex foyol is a, is a prime example of that yeah um, he won in Lords in the weather in 2017, I think it was. And then he was one of those riders who's permanently protected. Um, and, and I know for a fact, I've heard it, him, he said it to people I know that the pressure of running that 10 board all season, it, it ruined his season uh, because he didn't perform to that level in the following year. Um, so yeah, I, I, it, it's hard to, to pick away, but I, I don't like it really. I don't think. Fair enough. Next thing. The introduction, and this is where it's going to get controversial, I think, the introduction of a semi-final. So qualifying as normal, but then the top 60 elite men and top 15 elite women move on to a semi-final, and the top 30 elite men and the top 10 elite women from the semis move on to finals. Points, well, winning quali gets you 50 points, winning semis gets you 200 for the men, 150 for the women, and winning the final gets you 250 for men and 200 for women. So semis are nearly as valuable as the final. As a fan, in principle, I kind of like it. I think, you know, the more racing, which is great for the fans. What are your thoughts on it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, I like I like it because I, I like this podcast because then I can, you know, when you're a um, writer's rep, you're not yeah. supposed to give your opinion. Like it's the writer's opinion, not yeah. mine. And here I can just give my opinion. <laughs> so, um, well, I I think the first thing that's crossed my mind is just like people are trying to reduce the number of riders in final. Yeah. That's the main thing. They want to get the 30 to 10, but they didn't want to like um, go straight away to there because it is sort of trying to find a solution to still broadcast a larger number of riders. And the idea was to have a semi-final. The big problem with that is that there's qualifying on Friday, let's say, and then there's semi-final in the morning of Saturday and then race run on Saturday afternoon. So there's three race run in one and a half day. And as a former racer, like the level of intensity and focus and commitment you have to like have to de- deliver performances that we've seen last year, yeah. like like the amazing run that we've seen, like Finn's run in, in Montsanan, you can't, you won't ever see that again if you have three runs in one and a half day. Because everyone is going to ride safely and try to like have consistent points. And that's like also the problem with the points that you said. And maybe we can come to that later because the point system is like almost no difference between semis and finals. And that's like, that's good. That's the point distribution is wrong completely. But I think the concept of a semi final, which 
I understand the point because they want to broadcast more rider. They want to give more uh, race time. But I think it takes a little bit away the, the proper nature of downhill. It goes towards more like a tiny enduro race. Yeah. Do you, do you think it devalues the World Cup win a little bit? Because what do you get? Oh, yeah, completely. Completely. Because you could get third at every race and win the overall easy. Yeah. You can get, if you get third at every race, you can, someone that wins every race, let's say, every final, let's say, and messed up the last round, the last round, the final of the last round gets 500 points at once. So someone has been like, maybe let's say in fifth every year, every, every race, and then gets just the win on the last one, he could like win the overall. Yeah. So that's like, it's, it's not very like smart, a smart way. To do an overalls um, point distribution, in my opinion, Jack. Yeah, um, pretty much. I, I agree with everything you've just said for sure. Um, I mean, I think I'll more just pile on, really. Um, <laughs> and just a little bit thicker. So, uh, initially, when I read the press release, I was like, "Oh, cool, same as you, George." Obviously, I'm I'm, I'm competing next year. I'm going to be in that pack of riders trying to fight for those spots. And my initial thought as a rider was sick more is it and then my brain went shit you're going to do that semi-final run and if you have a stormer because you're going to have to have a stormer let me tell you that yeah yeah mm -hmm. the only time i've had splits in the top 30 in 2022 was fort william and i was on a heater until i punctured and the stress like emmy said when you're you're taking those risks is massively intense and even when you have a storming quality run sometimes to think I've got to go and do that again tomorrow. Like whenever I've qualified in the top 20, that's almost such a rush that you don't even want to go up again the following day, even for practice. Mm -hmm. Like that adrenaline surge and that feeling of success. Now that's going to happen for quality. Then everybody's going to have to go, shit, we're fighting for a top 30 place in finals, which is so difficult now. They're then going to have what, two hours? I mean, something we haven't even just touched on is bikes. Most riders are now going to probably be having conversations with mechanics and team managers about having two bikes, one for the morning and then another one just sat there just in case yeah. they're not sure things are going to work for that finals run. So as Emmy says, they've tried to reduce the numbers in a way to make it exciting and a way to make more racing, but they've not done it in a way where they're considering the riders at all. There is absolutely no consideration there, consideration there on what the riders want. Because I'd I'd be pretty amazed if there's more than five percent of the riders that that want this. That's my that's my feeling. So am I right in saying, as far as you guys know, none of the riders have been consulted? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, hmm. people weren't consulted about this. I, I I knew rumors that a top thirty final was talked yeah. about, but I've, this is the, when I got the team manager letter about two hours before the press release went out. It's the first I'd heard of a semi final, and certainly the first I'd heard of it being of anything happening twice in one day what you said before emmy about riders riding conservatively do you think that's really going to happen like like what jack's just said there about the pressure the speed that those people that, that they're riding at now mm. when they actually get there i mean how many riders could actually make it through to a final without going at absolute full gas I was just about to say there'll be a there'll be five to ten yeah. that can maybe play the points game in the semis and go, I'll, I'll just get in and I'll be a, somewhere. Because, you know, someone like Danny Hart or Omri, they know they can get in that top 30 
winding it up back a bit. But then yeah. there's a block of like 60 to 70 riders that are all going to just absolutely wind it on to try and get in that semis. Yeah. Emmy? Yeah. I don't know. It's just like people that are playing the overall though, you know, like with these overall points, it's not like people are going to have to, if that actually like takes place, that format, people are going to have to like change their race craft, like change mm -hmm. the way they approach the race, like the tactics, everything they've learned over 10, five to 10 years now. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. all going to be all different. So this is a bit like, that's, I think, what the riders have a problem from because they develop such a, like a way to deal with the format as a whole. And, and that's going to change the nature of what they, they worked for for so long. So yeah, that's, I think that's what the problem is for them. So let me go on a little bit that I think he's, I genuinely think he's like controversial as a, as a non-rider. So anyone with a season long race number, so top 10 men, top five women from the previous season is protected for semi-finals. Then come the best ranked riders from the current World Cup standings until a total of 10 women and 20 men are reached. So for the first race, the top 20 from the 22, 2022 final standings. Then for the final, it's back to the number boards and anyone with a one to three number board is protected for the women and anyone with a one to five for the men. What that means, if I understand it right, is that Amri Piron, Finn Isles, Loris Vergier, Andy Kolb and Bernard Kerr are racing every semi and every final. Now to me, that gives them a huge advantage over someone like Loic or Matt Walker who've both won the overall in the last couple of years, but, but both battled injury last season am i right yeah You've for sure for sure like um so protection has always been a hard topic it's yeah. always been hard to make it fair in any way because um some of the riders, for example in the past year some of the riders that were in the standings um and were racing took a protection spot away from people that were actually at the race so yeah. it was already like a problem and now it's even more a problem because the standings are not taking in any consideration for finals protection. <laughs> so someone that is leading the overall could miss the final potentially, but someone that won the overall the year before, yeah, could could be in is, there. is 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 gonna be in there. So um, yeah, that's that's um, a very critical topic, and yeah, I think it was just easier the way it was. Like without the semi-final, then and it's just no polemic about about this. And top twenty protection is pretty, pretty fair considering yeah. comparison to to now. If I'd have asked you last month who was more likely to win the twenty twenty three overall out of Loic Bruni and Finn Isles, who would you have picked? Yeah, <laughs> hard. I know what you're getting at. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, I mean, we I know probably you... gone Loic just because of yeah. the mm -hmm. experience and the history and. Like you're about to say, Finn's now in that top five. So can he can he afford to play it a bit smarter and and get away with it? So who who I would mean, you pick now? Would you pick Finn now? I honestly don't feel like I understand how it's going to affect things enough. If that makes sense, because I mean, if 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 it was my decision, I'd get rid of the protectors completely. Um, and the reason for that is the strength and depth in the top of our sport now. That top. 15 to 20 riders is so strong. So, so one of them messes up and doesn't get in. What, you've lost your show? Was there still a show at Maribor that Jermin Minard didn't qualify? Yeah, of course there was. In fact, it created a huge, it was Maribor, right? Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It created a huge talking point. Mm -hmm. Like, 
so if I was asked, I'd say just just get rid of it. Um, but I'm not, so we are where we are. But to to answer your question, honestly, I don't know. I, I, these guys at the top of the sport, I think a lot of them, like if you ask Danny, I reckon Danny would probably just say, I'm just going to race my bike. Yeah. I'd probably be what he'd say. He's probably not thinking about it. Like, and I mean, we, at the moment, we all we've talked about is immense. Well, how do you think this is going to affect the women's end? Do you think it'll have a big effect or do you think it'll be less of an effect that it went on? Well, the final is going to be 10. So it's reduced to 50, from 50 to 10. So that's already like, <laughs> we, we thought we we're going to go back to 20 you know, after last season. <laughs> so this is going backwards for me. If you ask me as a female rider, I'm not happy with this decision. And to be honest, between like this, I don't know, with the amount of riders, like it doesn't matter if it's, I mean, if, if, if it's 60 to 30, it's 30 riders that go away. Like it's a lot of time for the broadcast, but five riders, yeah. how much time is that? Like, I don't know. Like, so, and the fact that there's protection, We've seen in the past, like there was some protection rule that were like very, very, um, uh, controversial where the top five standings could train with the men's and mm. the others, the rest couldn't. And that was like a very big problem. So we've seen that over and over, but definitely less pressure. But I think also where there's less rider, maybe the protection won't matter as much as for the men. Yeah. Um, but it's the the fact that there's less women in the final is definitely not cool. Who, who's number four in the women's? Can we, do we know? Uh, Nina Hoffman. Nina Hoffman. You see that? Yeah, that could be big. Yeah, be protecting a very small number of riders there. So, I I, I don't really see the, any point in fixing things that aren't broken. But at the same time, don't really fear change. This whole thing might be better we, you, you don't know do you until until you've tried it but surely kind of in order of fairness you need to tell riders that the start of the pre preceding season that this is going to happen you know rather than just announcing it at the end of the year just as you were about everyone's getting ready for that season do you it, would it have been as big an issue if you'd have had a year if everyone had known at the end of next season these this is how it's going to go well Look at Laurie, like that crash he had at Val Sol. Yep. Cost him that top five. Like, you know, so I think the bigger issue that you've just touched on is that they're not consulting riders in a sport that is extremely dangerous, huge risks. Like people, those guys at the top who are, and girls who are really going for it, they are throwing their lives on the line every single time they do one of the fast ones and they have not been consulted. And I, I think it's wrong. Like consulting someone like myself, it's pointless. The top riders should be consulted. So I work with like, in the day job, I work with unions with half a million members. I work with PLCs that are on the, the FTSE. And change is like a massive thing that, that they have to manage. And I see them doing it all the time. And this is, in my experience, the worst way to do it, which is just, there's no consultation. There's been no explanation. It's just, this is how it's going to be. And nothing gets everybody's backs up like that. Mm -hmm. If they'd have come out and said, we have won a competitive tender process with the UCI on the basis that we need to deliver X, Y, and Z. The only way we're going to deliver X, Y, and Z is by doing this, 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 and this. And that will hopefully increase the revenues like this. And this, you will see 
more exposure, you will see this, you will see this. Here's our research that backs this up. Here's a fully presented case for why we're doing it. If you could make some sense of it, if you could go away and go, all right, I might not agree with it, but I understand it. It softens the blow, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, for sure. For sure. And I think that's that's the main issue because I'm convinced that they have all that. Like, like they have all the research, all the experts and everything, but they just, for some reason that I can't quite grasp yet, they don't want to share it, like, in advance. Yeah. They're just imposing stuff. And, and that's, like, the big thing that I'm trying to, like, um, change with with um, the association is like that we get the riders involved and we can kind of like develop like a kind of a trust trustworthy relationship because yeah. right now I feel like ESO sees the riders as enemies and I don't want that because riders should be the allies you know to make the sports better oh 100% and I'm not quite sure why that's the, the we, I'm working on it <laughs> we all working on it to try to like construct this really positive relationship because it's not all bad like we have a huge investment in the sport and that's a huge opportunity and um, from like a logical perspective you would say okay this company has taken over they have a huge pressure on them they need to deliver they try their best you know yeah they are a hundred percent. Otherwise, it won't be yeah. right. But they are trying their best. But like, they won't tell like that they are. <laughs> it doesn't seem like they are because it, there's no communication, and yeah. that's a little bit the hard stage that we are right now. And try to go past that and try to like try to work with each other a bit more. Mm. Yeah, a couple of things that like I, I keep trying to do this as quick as possible. But firstly, like, I know people here, so I know Chris, I know Rory, and they're great people, and I know for a fact. What Emily's just said is right. They will be trying to do this so it works for everyone. But if you gave the top 10 guys and girls some iPhones and said, go on your social media and publicize that next weekend you're all getting together and having a race, people would watch it. I'd watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it was just them in the woods having a race. And the point I'm making is without the riders, this does not happen. Yeah. But without other parts of it, it could still function. The riders are the be all and end all of this. And the fact they're not being consulted it is, is wrong. And, and the other thing I was about to say is I, f- I feel like they're trying to, they're just trying to sort out what's going on at the pinnacle of the sport. So, so many people at the moment can turn up to World Cups. You can apply to your national, national federation as a UK expert rider. I mean, they don't have that category in America, but you know, a, a lower level elite rider can apply and go and have a go at a World Cup. They know they're not going to qualify. Like they're not going to, but they go and gain the experience. And the reason that's happening is because there is no route to World Cups that really makes sense. Yeah. Like UK national races, even the IXS Cups, they don't come up as like Formula Two or if in a different sport in like football, they're not like the championship behind the Premier League. There is nothing below it. Whereas yeah. if rather than just trying to fix the problem at the top where they're trying to reduce these riders down from 200 to 30, give people other events, other races to go to that are still regarded as high level races and change the point system. So it's harder for people to actually get to World Cups in the first place. Then they're creating something with more of a development pathway into World Cup racing without having to just piss people off. Yeah. I think what I've just said makes sense. But- yeah, because I think I think they will. Like, I'm That's pretty awesome. sure that they, they will try. And I've talked to numerous people at ESO about this 
It takes a little bit more time. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's that's the the long term goal. And I think all the eventually we'll end up at thirty and ten if there is a right like second series, third series, whatever. And yeah. nobody will have a problem with that anymore. No. I just think on a very personal level, the changes are coming too fast. Mm-hmm. Like it's everything's happening too fast. Like we've heard and everyone heard that mostly nothing's gonna change for next year. And I've said so on the podcast because I was convinced it was the case. Mm. And then this comes up and you're like, wow, actually, <laughs> like this is, this is kind of crazy. So, um, I understand the reason, but I think, um, like you said, it's nothing is quite broken with the current format. Like it's working well. So yeah. you want to do it better? Maybe just yeah, cover the juniors. take over yeah. and like the junior race on a set, another day is, is a very good idea. There's a lot of great ideas out there, but maybe yeah. not all at once, you know? Yeah. So one sure. of the other one of the other changes was the start order. Can do you understand it? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, please help us on this. I'm not a native that. English speaker can, because can, I'm I, like I'm like what the hell. I can read out what I've put in the script if you want. Yeah, we you want me to read that. So the start order for the semi and final will be based on the re- reverse results for the last qualifying round. Fastest rider starts last. Fine except for the protected riders and the fastest five men and two women by order of their last qualifying result reversed. So that means that... Honestly, I think there's better things we can be talking about. Yeah, let's like, forget that. Let's, think, let's move on. Yeah, like, who cares? Like, I like it, like you said, <laughs> overcomplication for no reason. But, that's good. <laughs> but if we can't fathom it out or get our heads around it, the average fan, isn't that just overcomplicating it for her? They're going to be a fan. They're going, I have shit. no idea who's coming next because... Yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I, I I just think they they wanted to say that the last five guys and the last two women, whether they're protected or not, are the fastest from the last qualifying round. Yeah. So there's ah, no right, protected okay. rider that goes in between. Right. Maybe that's the point. Right. It's, okay. prefer- it's yeah. protecting someone's performance. Maybe. On and the that, w- that would be that would be I agree point. with. Mm-hmm. So then what's the point in keeping everybody numbers one to ten throughout the season? <laughs> that's a direct contradiction of that reward to that person's performance. But anyway, like I said, we could be here all night and we got Richie joining us in five minutes. So, <laughs> so the the other major change was that the UCI previously had an open policy on junior women to try and promote that category. If you entered, you were in the final. That's no longer the case. There's just 10 junior women in the final. Good thing or, or bad thing? Emmy? Let me go first, because yeah, after Emmy's voiced her opinion, I might get scared and not say what I think. So I'm going to be bold and go first. I think it's a good thing, because I think not doing that devalues the race. They can just turn up, crack on. And I coach one of the junior women from this year, Beth. She's a great rider, great girl. And I've seen her on quality day, and she's just chilling. There's no there's no stress. There's nothing. Yeah. And I think, as as Emmy said in, in one of the messages she sent, it doesn't help them when they get to elite. So I think this is a good thing. I think it's going to pr- help them prepare for what what's waiting. Go on, Em. Am I wrong? Yeah, right. I, I I agree with you. Cool. Almost ninety nine percent. Um, I've seen it with Jenna last year as well. Like, and I don't think it's the best like um preparation for moving on to elite because that's the only category that doesn't have like quality stress and. Now there's going to be top 10 moving on. So I think it's good that they can like try to deal with this st- stress. Otherwise, when you move on to elite, then you have to qualify for top 15 and then top 10 for finals. 
it's gonna be like a whole different game. So you're doing your, all your, you should be doing all your learning in the junior category. So, yeah. um, it's good that hopefully that won't like affect the numbers of people participating, but had them having the race the day before, it's also like, and broadcasted would be also a good thing. So last thing on this, no mention of prize money yet. Last time I checked, I think it was around a thousand euros for winning an EWS. So I wouldn't be too optimistic if I was a rider that, that huge sums will be on offer. As, as you haven't heard anything, whether there'll be prize money for semifinals or anything like that. No, um, I've, I've been in touch with, um, some UCI, um, people are working at UCI and still UCL that actually, um, decides the scheme for the prize money. So, so far I've heard, and obviously I've heard different things that were completely untrue in the past, but there's no changes to prize money this year. Okay. So that's also something that's a little bit problematic. If it rise, race, you do three times, three yeah. full runs in one and a half day and have the same prize money, it's a lot of effort, you know? So we'll see if maybe in the years to come, there's going to be a better reward for this effort, but uh, for now, no. Everyone's team membership fees have gone up, both for regular mountain bike teams, which is what I run. Our fees have doubled. I'm not sure if elite fees have doubled, but anyway, everyone's have gone up. And they're basing that on the fact that we're going to get better media coverage from Warner Brothers. So in the next couple of years, we need to be able to see the benefits from that, pulling in more sponsors, more prize money. And if that doesn't happen, then what are we paying for? So 100%, I can see that. So I had a whole section here recapping on all the team rumours, but we're running out of time because Richie's going to be waiting for us in a minute. Any team rumours that you're aware of that that we didn't know about? I can um, add a couple yeah, of Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but because I saw on your list you put Oliver Zwar. Yeah, I was just wondering and I thought whether we Oliver talked, we talk, we t- I thought we talked about it, but I've heard he's going to my FMD. Really? Oh, yeah, that'd be but, good. Everyone's going to be on Canyons next year, the new commentator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I um I spoke with Jacob Dixon, um his dad earlier, um yep. and obviously very fast, very talented Irish rider. And in my head, he's always older than he is, but he's still only twenty four, um maybe just oh, wow. five. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Everyone thinks he's older because he's been around so long, but I'm told he's got a new team. Um, he's been on Mondraker. I'm I'm told. A while, he's got yeah. A team, so that's exciting. And I've also just heard from Roger Vieira, everyone's favorite Brazilian. Yeah. yeah. Earlier, because I know Shout he's talking, out to Rog. Yeah, I know he's <laughs> been talking to lots of teams off the back of his season. Um, but Roger's confirmed. He sent out a lot of proposals, spoke to a lot of people, but he's staying with his current setup. He's staying with More Large and doing his own thing with SR Suntour. Um, didn't hear back from anyone. And I think for Rog, um, I don't think it's a bad thing. What he's doing is working for him. And if he can now back what he back up what he's done this year with an even better season and start pushing top twenty, he might get some offers for twenty twenty four. But um, they're the two things two things I could add. Cool. Well, as before, we mentioned before, we actually go, George. Something I do want to add because I feel like we've been so harsh on, or I personally, I feel like I've been harsh on ESO and on the changes. Um, I wish them all the best, and I really do hope they do a good job of it. And every single bit of communication they have sent has been extremely detailed. You can tell that they're putting an awful lot of time and effort into it. And although I have been fairly critical of what we've, what we're kind of seeing, um, you know, who knows? We all want to be successful, don't we? Yeah, that's the, that's... I am open minded to it and good luck to them. So obviously I'm going to be there. So I'll get a first hand experience and uh, let's hope, let's hope they do it right. 
Well, as mentioned earlier, there's some big changes to to Enduro as well, and we'll be back with Richie Rude after these messages. Hi, I'm Ollie Wilkins. And I'm Ben, the Deaconator Deacon. We've just spent the last week at Ride Southern Spain. Having a fantastic time. We have. We've ridden countless amounts of Enduro and epic downhill trails. That's right, they have a workshop, swimming pool, pizza oven, fire pit. They've even got a donkey here, dude. You get a free beer if you ride, you know? That's all right, is that right? So we've just dropped into this first trail of the day. Cheeky little uh, off-piece line here. Nice little dusty berm at the bottom to catch you. Woohoo! 600 pounds a week includes accommodation, airport transfers, six days of uplifts and guiding. Check out their social media or website to book your holiday at Ride Southern Spain. Ride Southern Spain. Me again, it's Sasha at Revolution Bike Park. It's that time again. We're going to go and have a chat to a few people about what they think is the best thing about Revolution Bike Park. Collins Corners. <laughs> no, everything. <laughs> everything. Just the last stop. Collins, the new track. Uh, red. Oh, the tracks. <laughs> it's the downhill, the techie stuff for me, definitely. Love it. Um, yeah, it's just different than any other one, I think. Just, like, I go to quite a few bike parks uh, quite often. I mean, but for me, Revs is definitely my favourite. The tracks here, like, um, yeah, it's. I don't think there's any much like it. There's a few local places, like off piece stuff, but for downhill stuff, I mean, even Dovey's got really good tracks. Um, awesome bike park, but they don't have the same tight in the trees and stuff like that. And I think that's the stuff I love most, really. Yeah. He last appeared on the pod in episode two of season three, and I'm delighted to welcome Richie Rude back to the show. How are we doing, Richie? Hey. Yeah, doing pretty good. Excellent. Glad to be back. Where in the world are you right now? Yeah, just at home now in uh, Connecticut in the US. Just got back home from a little trip to North Carolina. But uh, yeah, doing good. And all, all set for Christmas? Yeah, I think so. Ready as you, ready as you can be, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a big one. Is the family coming round? Or? Uh, yeah, going to go see the family. Um, they're close by, so easy trip, you know. Cool. Nice. Right then, Richie, I'm going to dive straight in. So after a pretty barren 2020, um, how good was it to go racing again in 2021? Yeah, it was pretty great. <clears throat> and uh, started a bit later in the year just because of the schedule. So I got a bit of riding, a bit more riding preseason, which was nice. But yeah, man, felt really good. We had a lot of those back-to-back races during the weeks and yeah. kept the racing like pretty exciting and yeah this was was so nice to get back yeah for sure well you've just mentioned there the back-to-back and the exciting racing i'm just going to run through the first part of the season obviously you had this huge battle with jack um and written down it is impressive um it's almost as if there weren't other people there when you read it out <laughs> Val- Valdefasa, round one you were first Valdefasa, round two you were second Latwil round three you were first. Um, Latwil round four, you were second. And then both rounds in Ludenville, you were second. Um, and I think were you first on the way down that last stage and the chain came off? Is that right? Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was first or in second, but yeah, I was up there. You were there again. Yeah. How, how intense was that first part of the season once you got a couple of races in and it was just you and Jack? Was it as intense, I would think? Yeah, for sure. Like having like all those races so close to each, to each other is definitely a bit hard you know especially mentally just to like go every single weekend and so yeah it was a bit about trying to recover and kind of refresh kind of refresh for the next race and 
yeah, I think um, by that second left wheel race, I was ready for a bit of a break. Yeah, I can imagine. And we, obviously, we've got a downhill World Cup in Latwil next year. Can you let us into a little bit of what we can expect? Do you think it'll be a good venue? Oh yeah, I think so. For downhill, it'll be. They got some good, good steeps there, so I feel like you know, as long as the track's ridden in a bit, uh, I think it'll be pretty good. Nice. Okay. So we then move on to Crans Montana. Um, you were first, and Jack was tenth. That was the first round where you guys weren't one-two, which is just crazy. On to finale, you were fifth. And Jack won, which meant you were pretty level coming into Inalithan. Um, tell us a bit about the thing that happened at Inalithan, because obviously there was a fairly controversial disqualification there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny, really. Just I don't know, not paying attention exactly to to kind of how they tape stuff. And for some reason, in my head, it seemed good to stay between the tape, but not the you know the Endure World Series flags they put up. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I thought I was on a crafty line, but and with a bit of a DQ at the bottom of my run, which was a big bummer because, yeah, now I was on the pro stage. It was on the Saturday. And then, um, yeah, then my team manager let me know that I was DQ'd for Sunday. So huge bummer to, like, not be able to contest, like, the, the race. But it was also almost, like, stress relieving, being like, all right, I can just chill now. This is nice. I know you said, well, I think you said it was pretty dumb on your part. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was pretty harsh. A D DQ. Yeah, I I for sure thought they could have like like even if they gave me and uh, Lukasik like a five minute penalty, yeah, and still and still let us race and you know kind of have it. You could still like kind of see how the day could play out, but that could also be more frustrating if you did well. But you know, it would have been nice just to just to ride on that Sunday. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I was there. I was at the event and. I'm a team manager as well. And I, I remember seeing the flags and because I don't race enduro routinely, I remember seeing them and thinking, do I need to go through those or not? And my team manager brain kind of said, well, let's not take any risks. Do you kind of look, did you discuss it with anyone before you made the decision or was it just literally a, in the moment, I'm taking the fastest line to the finish. I'm going that way. We like kind of talked about it. And um, I like, one of us really thought about kind of like, what if it like was, not in the rules or some or some per se. Yeah. And then yeah, when I kind of came off the thing, I was like, cool, I'm doing it. Whatever. Yeah. Lesson learned. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my, yeah. my feeling is similar to George. Like something needed to be done, because obviously, you know, rules are rules as we know. But I think a disqualification yeah. after such a tight season, I'm sure Jack would yeah. have rather you been racing. So anyway. Yeah. Um P2 in the world, did, were you were happy at the end of the year or did you did you look back on it going, ah, fuck. Oh yeah, I was I was super stoked. Like it's hard to not be happy with like being on the overall podium. And with it being like, you know, first kind of having like twenty twenty off and then racing back again, it was um it felt good to put a full season in and be back like in that number two spot. Prior to that, I like haven't had a full season per se. And so yeah, it was nice just to have a solid result. Tell us a bit about Jack Moir because I heard some rumors that you two don't re- didn't really get on, but then I go on your Instagram and you're full of nothing but praise for him. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Jack. Like we were on Yeti together for a year briefly, and I get along with him. Yeah, we're yeah. Uh, we're like similar similar age and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't know he'd ridden for Yeti. And what what year? Yeah, was he that? did a did a brief year in 2013. I want to say right. Okay, so at the start of 2022. 
I sensed a bit of frustration on your part that the, there was a lot of hype before the start of the downhill season and that wasn't replicated with Enduro. Would frustrated be a, a pretty accurate description? Um, I mean, I think it was, it was definitely cool watching all like the downhill lead up and everything. And sometimes I feel like Enduro needs like a bit of, a bit of that just to feel, feel the same. But yeah. um, I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty open to kind of however the season starts. Yeah. Did you, did you feel like the last, when we spoke with Wynn on the last episode, we, we were talked about that the perhaps hadn't been as promoted as well the last couple of years. I don't even know if they were doing videos in 2022. Um, did you feel that? Do you feel like it hasn't been promoted as well? I mean, I think they tried to do a good job of like pushing out kind of like stuff through their Instagram and everything. And I kind of feel like with, you know, us top three guys, like maybe um, we could have like some more, I guess, content through them. Like, yeah. you know, how like me and Jack battled all the way through 21 and then, you know, they had good stuff during the season, but then I don't know, like we never really talked much to EWS in the off season. Yeah. It's, it's all about stories, isn't it? If you've got stories, that's what makes content basically. Well, it makes good content. You need a good story and you've not, not been short of stories there. That might yeah. be one of the things we see improve now Warner Brothers are involved. Like it's what they do, right? So hopefully yeah. that'll be one of the benefits that, that we get from it. Yeah. Yeah, so hi, Richie. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Um, so we'll get to the new changes announced last week a bit later, but um, let's keep chatting 2022 first. Um, so Bex, Barona and Casper Woolley joined the Yeti team. Um, tell us a bit about what it's been like having those guys on the team. Yeah, um, me and Casper, or Casper, like, traveled with us in 21. So it was, like, he'd kind of been with us for, for a year and then um, kind of had a short-lived season in 22, which is a bit of a bummer because it was fun having him, having him with me. And he was kind of pushed me quite hard because, you know, I don't want to get beat. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, kept me on my toes. And I was quite, you know, fun for him to go out for his race this season. He was really looking forward to it. And then, uh, yeah, it's been great having, having Bex on the team. It, you know, brings a little different dynamic. And I think she's been such a great fit with us. And yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I, re- I remember the last time you were on the pod, you were talking about this guy called Casper, who you'd been riding with and training with. And I just remember, like, I'm not 100%. When we were doing the interview, I was like, I'm not 100% sure who Casper is, but he sounds fast. And then, obviously, it's become clear now. Because he, he, when he rides, when, well, he hurt himself as well, didn't he, at the end of the season in that pump track crash, I think? Yeah. So, But he, he's, he's a fast rider, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's real quick. Are you um, going to grow a mullet as well, Richie? No, that Bex uh, is the uh, baddest mullet in the, in the game now. I know. Hers was, hers was a next level this season. But uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on the old mullet stage. Okay. Um, yeah, so like you said, Casper had a rough season, broken back in the Elethan. Um, so back to the scene of the Grime, the, the first CWS of the season was in Elethan and um, you took the win. So how did that feel? Yeah, it felt great. Like, I think it's always pretty nice to start off with a good result. Like, it puts a bit of confidence in you, like, kind of in the training or in the prep you've done leading up to the season. So, yeah, it was a great feeling there. Like, it was a good, I feel like it was a good start race, too. Like, we weren't, you know, super high in the in the mountains doing 10-plus-minute stages. But, uh, man, just pretty high-intensity dodging trees and release. And, but, yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty stoked. Yeah, so you started 22 the similar way that you did in 2021, so very strong 
second at run two in Patton, first in Valdifasa. So you're leading the series, mm. but obviously it's still tight between you and Jesse. And uh, yeah, you've been one, two in all the races, like you were with Jack. Um, yeah. Is battling Jesse any different than battling Jack? I kind of felt like it was pretty similar. Like, I mean, we were both kind of trading off off wins here and there or, you know, mm-hmm. so I feel like in that aspect, it was, it was pretty similar. I mean, they have totally different styles, but uh, yeah, for sure. as far as racing, I felt like it was, it was pretty close. Yeah. So you are um, U.S. national champion again that year and you're part American. So I guess it feels pretty good to wear the sleeve, right? Yeah. I think it's always good. I haven't been able to make it to national champs that much. So being able to go there and get the sleeve is always, always a great thing. Um, moving on to Whistler um, for round four. And um, I think you were either first or second on every stage until the last one. And then um, disaster struck and you ended up 44th. Um, tell us what happened there. Yeah, me and Jesse were kind of, you know, battling out like had been during the season. He kind of had a, a pretty good lead, it seemed like, throughout the day. Like he was riding really well. And Whistler is kind of home area. And mm-hmm. Um, so I was just trying to keep up and, you know, get the podium if I could. And yeah, went into the last stage, um, after a pretty long day. And, uh, there is the new kind of big jump section, um, on 1199, I think it's the trail. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just pushed a little too hard, I guess. in one of the, the burns into the big drop and, uh, peeled my tire off the rim. So that was pretty, pretty big bummer. Cause I feel like for me, it seems like Whistler is you know, win or, or get 40th or something. So <laughs> I definitely hurt for the the feelings of the overall, like, uh, points wise. How, how long did it cost you getting the tire back on? Cause you did, did you manage to get it back on? Yeah, I got it mounted back up and put it back on. I think I lost three minutes. Yeah. But it cost, I just you. thought it was worth the throw it back on and then to yeah try and ride it down or, or even DNF. Did you, Jesse took the win there. Did, did you sense at the time that that result might cost you? Yeah, I think as soon as it happened, I immediately thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that's a pretty, pretty bad feeling. Yeah, when you're like 10 minutes from the bottom, it's, <laughs> you're just like, man, that is not good. <laughs> so on to round five in Burke, six stages. Jack Moir wins the first four, but he's only seven seconds ahead of you. You win the final two stages and he's second on both of those stages, but you managed to put 11 seconds into him to take the win. Those last two stages were two of the longer ones. Do you prefer it when it starts getting around six minutes and over? Yeah, I guess it seemed like it. Kind of the beginning of the day, we had pretty, some shorter, like kind of intense stages. And I think it's kind of hard to to distance yourself unless you're kind of really, um, really on track, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think with those couple of longer ones, I guess I just kind of flowed right and and got that time back. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of a great feeling to f- going from kind of being in that second position to like clawing back that time. Do do you manage it differently? You know, like if it's a short stage, if it's a two and a half, three minute stage, is it just like a downhill race for you? Are you just flat out from the gate? And on the six minute plus ones, do you do you strategically? either do you ride a, a lower percentage or do you know there's places where you can recover yeah i mean i think it depends on the stage a bit but i think the shorter ones you you know if you know yourself 
well enough, you can kind of just go for it. And um, you kind of, yeah, you kind of have to take it much like a down on stage and just give it your all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the longer ones, um, I guess like depending, you know, if it's pedally or if it's physical in certain sections, you definitely have to, you know, hold back here and there. Like um, I know the one stage in Burke, it was kind of like a technical trail up top and then the bottom was pretty pedally. So you wanted to keep a little bit for the bottom so you didn't just um, kind of just lose time there. Yeah, 100%. So Sugarloaf sugar round six, stage results, third, second, first, 22nd, 101st, 106th, 21st in the overall. You injured your shoulder, is that right? Yeah, on stage five, I uh, fractured my scapula. So that didn't feel very good. <laughs> <laughs> but you carried on. Yeah, I could still like roll down the hill. Um, it was pretty painful, but I thought if I could at least roll through this race, um, it'll keep me on some points. Yeah. So how long after Sugarloaf was Crans Montana? Uh, I think it was four weeks, like almost on a dot. So four weeks later, you took ninth. Finish. You were fifty seconds back on Jack Moore. Were you fit to ride in Crans Montana? And if what what percentage fitness ride wise were you? Yeah, I think like uh, kind of cardio wise, I think I was fine. Yeah. Um, I tried to ride on the road on my mountain bike as much as I could when I was home. Yeah. Um, it was quite hard to sit in a kind of hole in the handlebar because every time my bar twitched, like my shoulder was quite painful. Yeah. So um, yeah, pretty much. Like we went to Morzine the week before Crans Montana. I was still on the road then. And then um it was kind of weird. Like the Friday of Crans Montana, like the pain kind of started going away. <laughs> I was pretty happy about that because I could barely ride like a week before. And um yeah, my legs and stuff felt good, but the upper body was a bit a bit weak, I think. So it was definitely a little frustrating just feeling like you're okay, but the pace was, you know, back 10-15%. I just have a little question here. When you have a crash like that during a EWS race and it's not the last stage, you know, um, is there like, can you tape yourself? Like, can you go to someone at some point of the race or is it like, are you on your own? How does it work? Well, I think we were fortunate with um, Sugarloaf that we could go to the pits between each of the stages. Mm. Like, nor like sometimes, you know, you might go from stage five to six and you might be out, um, you know, on the woods somewhere to kind of be on your own. But I got to go back to the pits quickly before the last stage and um our on our team we have um amanda she has like massage and stuff and so she just mm -hmm. checked me out and i don't think we put any tape on it just because i was you know sweaty and stuff so mm -hmm. um yeah just kind of regrouped and then uh yeah just went back up for for six yeah. hoping hoping that i could be able to at least roll down the hill But this is kind of nice because like when you have a crush like that and you're like on your own and you're like, wow, that, what did I do to myself? Like it, it can be kind of like yeah. overwhelming. So it's, it's good. That you could do that. Yeah. How you said about, um, you know, the, the pain seemed to go away on the Friday before Crans Montana. Do you think that's just the adrenaline? I feel like it, it must have been. Yeah. Or at least like, you know, having that hope of, you know, wanting to ride. Um, it was like every day it seemed like it got a little better. And I think just, um, Riding a little bit of trail must have just kind of helped it here and there. Yeah, I think sometimes the the mind can take over, can't it? It can block yeah. out mm -hmm. to a to a degree. Obviously, obviously not completely. Luidenville for the final round. You finished seventh with Jesse in sixth. 
second in the overall for the second year running with Martin Mays in third. Shoulder end injury, as he, when you look back on the season, that ended the title push for you, did it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think Whistler was a bit of a big hit for that. But um, yeah, I think the, the second thing with the shoulder injury pushed me back quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, because just looking at the results, you 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 did well in Leedonville the, the season before, so you could have but well, you'd have probably been better than seventh. I, w- I would have suggested you could probably have pulled some points back there. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I was definitely hoping for the best, but it was it was hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So you finished the season with the EWSE race in finale. You took third, just twenty one seconds back on Adrian Daly. Tell us a bit about e bike racing because. You're a big, powerful guy. On the last episode, <laughs> Wynn said that that he thinks e bike racing does it benefits the little guys. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I definitely feel like, um, at least with like a lot of the the power stages, I think I was losing like seven seconds on those to Adrian. So for sure, I had a bit of a weight penalty. But I think on the flip side too, like um, I don't think I noticed the weight of the e bike as much. Yeah. So like maybe during the day, you know, we race. I don't know, like 20 stages total. So it's like, I guess throughout the day, like I'm maybe I feel less fatigued, like through the body, just, mm-hmm. you know, throwing the bike around, but it's definitely hard to pull back any sort of time when, um, yeah, you get, you get crushed <laughs> going so, uphill. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, so you're probably not a fan of the technical uphills. I think they're fun. They're super hard. Like, um, they're hard technically and, um, yeah, physically, like it's very hard on the legs <laughs> yeah no i i completely understand like I, i'm a downhill rider too and i i kind of like these challenges on the e-bike that it makes it yeah. fun because you got up stuff you're like surely not and then you're like whoa like it's 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 actually quite quite fun yeah um so let's let's talk about the future a little bit and um, big announcement last week that the ews is going to become a mountain bike walk up um your thoughts on that yeah i mean i think we're Look, I feel like we're kind of waiting for it to happen with the UCI coming in. Um, I guess it's cool we get that kind of designation of being the World Cup, not just like a uh, World Enduro race. But um, yeah, I think it's exciting. Wynn said in the last episode that we have at Damon that he doesn't really like the direction of Enduro taking in the last years. And he used to be like huge events spread over multiple days on lots of trails and the racing has slimmed down. And the announcement last week was that the racing will now be held on one single day. So is that the direction that you support? Um, I mean, I kind of liked the, the format like last year, how we had like the, um, kind of like the pro stage. So it was like kind of a two day race, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely sometimes does feel pretty short when, you know, you're two stages through Sunday and you're like, Oh, I only got like two or three more. Like it feels quite short, but, um, I think for the intensity of racing, it kind of brings it up a bit. Um, yeah, I just hope they don't feel like too short or too easy. But I mean, I think it maybe could like bring up the intensity of the racing. I don't know. I guess it depends mm-hmm. like kind of the course they have. But yeah, it definitely seems like seems like some people like the more traditional style and some like the new style. Yeah. Well, the the racing definitely got closer, like insanely close the last like few seasons. Um, Wynn also said that he thinks that there might be um, a return to downhill for you in 2023. <laughs> um, is there something you're looking at and what 
um would that be like full time or i guess alongside enduro yeah i was i was looking into it um kind of with how we were part like having races in the same venues kind of made it a bit more of a kind of interesting thing to do and mm-hmm. um there's two races at the end of the season that are post enduro season so i think those might be something we might target if we can just it'd be kind of like a no stress thing because yeah. we did end of our season yeah as the has, has last week's announcement influenced your decision anywhere like to me it seems like if i was in your position like if i was thinking about going back to downhill last week's announcement has made it harder to come into downhill and it's promoted enduro to be in a world cup which has pushed enduro forward so i think if i was you i'd be yeah. saying oh i'm staying enduro now yeah i think it was it was definitely inter- interesting trying to understand the the download format i mean i guess if we <laughs> if we can get in and race whatever the semis and be on video and stuff that would be cool but yeah having the um you know, the World Cup status for Enduro definitely brings up the, the street cred, I guess. Yeah, and I guess with with with, with the bike companies, how 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 many years have you got remaining with Yeti? Um, I recently signed a, another three year contract, so yeah, only with them for a couple. And are they keen for you to get back to downhill because they, they don't have a downhill bike in the range at the at the moment? So, what what would you ride? Yeah, I mean, I think they're pretty pretty excited to kind of see me get back into it if i wanted to would, would it be a sb165 with some 40s is that uh i mean i kind of want to ride a, a dh bike but i guess we'll see what we have ah so there might uh-huh. be there might be something <laughs> in the works there i mean yeti's got such a history with downhill hasn't it you know what yeah i mean they were, they were great so for enduro are you still full 29 yeah full 29 and if you were to develop a downhill bike would you stay the same way um i mean just like looking at what everybody else is doing it seems like mullet's kind of the more of the way to go i would say probably what do you think emmy would you go well for me definitely yeah because uh i've ridden like the full 29 from pivot because i didn't have any other option but um yeah there's also something new coming at some point so it's probably going to be a mullet and i'm hoping so (laughs) 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 we might be so my size knowing what you're like as an athlete you're not coming back to downhill for a top 20 what what would be the aim i mean it'd be nice to get in there for sure (laughs) um i don't know i think it's hard sometimes like i obviously want to do well and i think getting a top 20 would be a um kind of a good goal just to start yeah i feel like it's hard to judge kind of the the speed i guess you have to ride at versus enduro I mean, it's yeah. always quite shocking sometimes when you ride with somebody who races downhill and you get like gapped on a trail or something. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Pretty open to it. Have you done any downhill races in recent years? Um, no, I was going to do one two years ago, but our schedules kind of overlap on the race weekend. So I only yeah. really did the qualifying. So we're, we're going to be catching up with Todd next. Tell us a bit about training for, for downhill versus enduro because one of the things we discussed on the last episode was that it's it's getting harder to do both. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that kind of in people who do, do both races. Like it, I feel like it's hard to focus on two and you might give and take a little bit here and there. Um, but I mean, I think we're just going to continue to, I guess, train for, for enduro racing. And um, yeah, I think some, 
I think over the years I've gotten almost a little better at some of the shorter stages, I guess. And obviously I'm great at the longer ones, but um, I think I'll just be trying to pick up that little bit of intensity down low and maybe ditching some of the thought process of, you know, I have five more stages <laughs> yeah. in a day versus uh, I just got to put it down and be perfect. It'd be it'd be so amazing to see you come back because uh, there's rumors obviously Sam Hill's going to come back as well for for another season. And then you've got the young kids, Jackson and Jordan going in. I mean, if it isn't exciting enough. Oh, yeah. You know. A lot going on for sure. Yeah, it'd be mega. So we're pretty deep into the off season now. Are you back training again? Yeah, back to a, to a bit of a routine. I feel like it took a little longer to get back into the swing of things this year. Um, rode a bit in finale with Todd after the season. So that was that was pretty good. And yeah, just back into going to the gym and. Sitting on trainer when I can. Yeah, because you guys got it's a pretty early start, isn't it, for the EWS? Is that Tasmania? Yeah, yeah, back in Tasmania, end of March, and yeah, I don't think we've had an early start for a few years now. Yeah, so uh, did, will you be breaking for Christmas? Um, I mean, I always like to keep moving, so probably not. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the opposite of me, Richie. <laughs> it's, it's your birthday on on the the first of January. You'll be twenty eight, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So just coming into your prime now, 28 is probably prime. Is that? Yeah. I mean, hoping so, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, look, thanks for making the time to come on the pod today. Have a great Christmas, uh, New Year, and birthday, and all the best for 2023. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Hopefully, we'll see you at some some downhill races as well as the. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. You need to come. You have definitely enough power for. <laughs> and There's strength. A few yeah. few pedal strokes that you need to put in, so yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> cool. We'll be back with Todd Schumlick after these messages. Time to make your bike ride like the pros. World Cup level suspension tuning and servicing from the expert team at JTEC Suspension. Built off years of knowledge and experience. The team at JTEC Suspension will service and tune your suspension to make sure it's in tune with your riding style and terrain to shave those vital seconds off your next race run. Visit j-techsuspension.co.uk today and see how their expert team can transform your suspension performance. Single Track is the world's finest independent mountain bike magazine, and they have a fantastic offer for podcast listeners right now. If you enter the code Making Up at checkout, you'll get 50% off Print Plus and digital subscriptions for the first year. Print Plus includes six issues of the magazine, each one containing plenty of ride inspiration, opinion, adventure and reviews plus full digital access to their site for under 20 pounds with the discount code digital access to their site starts at just 10 pounds a year that code once again is making up that's m-a-k-i-n-g-u-p all one word no spaces for 50 percent off print plus and digital subscriptions at single track if you're enjoying the making up the numbers podcast hit subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and drop us a review whenever it's convenient. For additional content, follow us on Instagram at Making Up the Numbers Racing. I am delighted to welcome back to the pod the busiest man in bikes, Todd Schumlick. How's it going? Good. Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Is this your? I was trying to work this out actually without going unlucky. Third or fourth appearance? Uh, I believe third. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you came on with Richie. Yeah. Then, then there was one with Matt Simmons, and I think that was the last one we recorded in a studio before. Uh, yeah, yeah, may, maybe. Uh, you, you'd probably remember more than me, but uh, 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 Matt, I don't remember the Matt one. No, I think you were on separately. I think, yeah, Matt, you we recorded with Matt in person in a studio, and then you you came in maybe by a Zoom link or something like that. I can't. Yeah, quite remember. yeah, that, that makes more sense. So it was pre pre pandemic. So <laughs> you could convince me almost anything right now. I think it was so, short bird. So there's so much to talk about. Let's start with intense factory racing. You guys went big last season with the addition of Dak and, and Joe Breeden alongside Aaron and Seth. As a team manager, it must really excite you when you bring that much talent on board. Well, y- yeah, I mean, I'd say that uh, you try not to think that, you know, that there's, a, I don't know, the short answer would be yes, it was awesome. It's like adding more, you know, as you have more uh riders on the team um you have more opportunity to probably see success right it's just yeah. it's just sheer numbers right but then you know which riders you, you know you go and you choose and i mean aaron and i communicated a lot we had a lot of interviews with everybody we tried to also we 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 don't you know we didn't um we don't look for the best riders or the who we think are the quickest it's like our first goal is to um sort of make sure that it's a team that can uh you know a group that can work together and and you know and 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 have the same goals and so just enjoyment because first and foremost it's just like there's a lot of traveling there's a lot of uh interaction there's a lot of spending time together and i think if that part's good first then um and your goals are kind of similar then you can um set yourself up for better success so you know, we had lots of interviews before and it was just, okay, let's see if like we are going to work for those riders and then if those riders are going to work for us. So it's got to be a two-way street. Um, I often don't go into it like, oh, we're the decision makers. We're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're up here in our big high horse or whatever. No, I really don't approach it that way. I, I'm like, hey, this is the way we do it and let them make the choice as well. Like say to them, do we sound right for you guys? Like, and I think we did that. So it's good when it turns out, um, yeah. you know, and you could say that with Joe, you know, I literally just talked to somebody last week about this and it's like, oh, you know, it's when it doesn't turn out the way you want it. Let's let's be honest. It didn't. And to have somebody hurt and injured and stuff, but just to see Joe's determination and, yeah, you know, if anything, I think Aaron and I have <laughs> tried to get him to pump the brakes sometimes and yeah. just like him just doing so much. Um so, uh, and then Dakota, you know, they're totally two different. It's been so awesome. Like, uh, I, I hope I did half, uh, for them, what they did for me. They did a lot for me. So, yeah. So Dak took third and, and Aaron fourth at the final round in Valdez. So you got team of the day, which meant Dak finished 16th in the overall Aaron eighth, both riders in top 10, in the top 10 at worlds. You, you must have been happy with, with the season. Yeah, we were, we were all super happy, uh, for sure, because, um, you know, we had a few tough years. Um, and, you know, I've been down that path before, whether it was Norco factory racing previous to this, where you have, you know, you start the first year and you're a little bit, um, I always say it's a little bit ignorance is bliss. Like, you don't, <laughs> I, I didn't know, like somebody wanted me to have a bigger team and they give you more money and they give you some big riders. And me and Blinky were like, Sam Blinkensop, we're like, let's try and figure this out together. Like, I might be team owner and manager, but let's 
figure out how to do this. And and you kind of, I don't know, you maybe you overthink it. Maybe, maybe you underthink it. I'm, I'm not sure. I think we kind of overdid it. We overcooked ourselves a bit. And, you know, I've always said like, you know, I learned a lot through that experience because we had three really rough, like we had four years, I had four years with Norco. And, you know, the first year was pretty good. Sam finished the same as he did the year before. And he's, let's be honest, he's kind of like your rock star. He's, he's, yep. he's sets the bar for the team and he had gotten ninth. And that was what he got the year before with uh, Lapierre and Loic and Loris. So we were like, I think that's pretty good, but we were like super ambitious. And then um, I think we just, you know, almost took on too much. And I always say it's my new thing, you know, <laughs> it's kind of cheesy, but like, it's like a coffee cup, you know, to me, I, I used to want to fill it right to the top because fill it, get the maximum amount of that coffee cup. Like if you're going to go get a cup of coffee, fill it all the way up. And then you realize all you're really doing is setting yourself up for more stress because you move around, you have to do things and you're spilling it. You're pissed off. It's all over you. It's all over somebody else. You really didn't enjoy that coffee because all you did was try and get more out of it and you just spilled it. So I've learned to just learn, especially with Aaron, like, Let's fill that cup to coffee to, you know, two thirds of a cup or three quarters of a cup. And then you enjoy that coffee more. You can move around. Yeah. You're not restrained by that coffee. And so I think we learned that going into the narco because our fourth year was really good with narco, you know, and sometimes don't people don't realize this and they're talking about all this team stuff. And Emily can tell you about this. It's like everybody is under the pressure. You know, it's not just the rider. It's also the management. It's the mechanics. Um, everybody's responsible. And so, you know, you're only as good as your last race. Sometimes, you know, it, it truly is. Sometimes, you know, it's like, we're all friends and bros and our sponsors are like, yeah, it's awesome. They love you. But when you go sit at the table again in October or whenever that is, they kind of remember pretty quickly what your performances were like <laughs> and what, what, what you did for the brand, like social media wise or whatever. So, you know, what you, that summer, even though they're looking like they're super relaxed, it's going to come back other to be yay or it's going to haunt you a bit so um i knew on that fourth year with norco i just had to really uh figure some shit out like and i i brought in a consultant to help me uh somebody i was luckily from moto gp that watched us at our last race and gave us a lot of good advice and that was pretty fortunate because i couldn't afford somebody like this but through a friend of a friend you know they they got somebody in and they really just and i said like nobody was off limits including me and i was like i probably got the most shit of everybody and i was like <laughs> i don't believe there's bad like staff i think it's there's just bad owners and managers truly i do really believe that i really believe that i'm responsible to set the tone and so with our team with intense factory racing i think we went into it and i was like oh geez like first year second year you know jack moore left the team and you know, didn't really want to go down that path that we were going on, which was, let's be honest, our program was, Aaron's really ambitious. He wants to develop, you know, his own program. He wants to go down. He doesn't want to just fight the system. He's not that guy. He just, he's quite um, responsible to sponsors. It's an, it's unbelievable. Like yeah. even past tire sponsors or anybody, he's like so concerned by, um, and it's not ego. It's not like, oh, without me, they're going to be nothing. No, he's actually part of their development he loves yeah. the development part so with us it was really cool to say okay we're developing we've got injuries combined and you know we just took we were a bit patient with that and we just were able to continue trusting each other in the process and then to see this year and see the boys like you say yeah 
uh, to see our guys, um, you know, I guess, you know, three or four boxes with Seth doing well and then in the EWS and then starting to make his way a bit on DH2. And then, of course, Aaron and Dakota, who are, let's be honest again, they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're, they're the top dogs on the program, right? Just, yeah. you know, for truth. So, you know, it was cool. We, uh, the process was awesome. It, it's, yeah, I try to be careful so you're not just gloating about the good stuff because, Again, I've had more rough years than good years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Joe had that horrible crash at Fort William that we we've, you mentioned earlier. I saw him at Revolution a few weeks back, and I think he was having another surgery to to have some metal work, some of that metal work removed from his elbow. Has he had that surgery now? And what what's his prognosis like for twenty twenty three? Yeah, yeah, he's had the surgery, and uh, it's to be yeah to be to be short and sweet. It's it's looking good. Like he's he's, he's doing all he can do again yeah. with Joe. It's sometimes a matter of, uh, pumping the brakes. You know, he's never a guy that sits around and it's like, just make sure he doesn't overdo it. And, um, he's very responsible. So it's, um, we're, we're, we're on our way to, I, I think we're on our way to, um, uh, have him right. So yeah, it looks, looks really good. He's back on bike and he's doing everything. You know, Joe, he's pay attention. He's riding motos and trials yeah. and maybe horses. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit, tell us a bit about the bike because it looked like you got a bike together that, that everyone was happy with, a bike that was capable of winning races. And I believe you've scrapped it and started something new. I believe it's a six bar design. Is that right? Well, they just got done testing a while ago, uh, maybe like five, six weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I guess we're scrapping that bike because they came down on their first run. And I think maybe. Dakota might have ghost walked his bike right into the forest and said, because he had his new, he had ridden his new bike, the, the, the new bike, new bike, yeah, the yeah. new bike. And, uh, he just was like, no, we're not going back to the old bike anymore. Like it did me good. And, but they quickly, both him and Aaron knew that the new bike was a lot better and, and, and also on the clock. So the yeah. clock wasn't going to lie. And then their, their feedback on it was really good. So yeah, the old bikes, uh, last year's bike. Uh, yeah. 20, 2022 bike is uh, now uh, behind us, and there was a lot learned with that bike. We tried to, you know, we we went out there. We 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 two years ago we we tested all the other bikes. We got all the other bikes. And we wanted to see. Um, there was just like a team of let's not um, let's not have excuses because it's just really easy to start going. Ah, our bike sucks. Our tires suck, or something. And it's like, well, let's go fix something. Let's go do it. And I mean, I won't get into the numbers, but. Aaron was pretty much like whatever it takes. Like if we have to do something for free, if we need to do, if I need to take a pay cut, if I need to do whatever I am, you know, and there's, you know, outside there's, and it sounds like sometimes I'm just protecting Aaron. Nah, he, he can be a shithead too, just like any of us. <laughs> no, I mean, we do. We're just, that's what makes us human, yeah. but he's, he's got a lot of experience and there's times when I, even doubted i'll be honest sometimes i'm like oh you know maybe it's you you think it's something else like just something you can go work on but i've learned that he's pretty he's pretty wise when it comes to the experience yeah. with these big brands and um you know it's he was like yeah let's let's get this thing right let's 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 go it's and and uh you know it's 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 a wild thing right because i used to always say you know swords don't win sword fights sword fighters win sword fights so meaning that I think the equipment was a little bit, you know, the bikes were a little bit 
over you know overstated yeah Yeah, and and riders i mean i've been around it when we were with narco remember how many bikes we went through i mean harry heath was one of the first guys to come back with that idler wheel harry built that you know in 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 not far from you and uh in the uk and we were just like and i think it, it gets a little bit distracting and you know and stuff but on the other side when you bikes can be shit and um bikes can not work and these days there's so many good bikes and it was important for us to go ride those bikes and we just literally wanted to see what the guys were winning on you know the common cells the specialized the treks and we we did it and it just came back with uh like we said let's just take take these bikes to the clock let's not just have our opinions um let's go use just real world testing and we did and they came back quicker so we were like well we got to figure out how to do the same thing and better and it's going to be it's going to be tough and uh it's going to take some work and we're gonna have to probably sacrifice some performance for a bit so to see it start coming around and it started to roll and there's a lot of other things too behind the scenes personal lives uh the mental game training uh you know all the above like the checklist was massive and we weren't going to miss it so but the bike since that's the topic we're on yeah we're on the new bike um because this podcast is going to go after when is this podcast played so we're recording it tonight on the 19th and it's probably going to go out on wednesday so the 21st if i can edit it tomorrow well there's the new bike oh nice yeah look at look at look how close i can get emily to the to the (laughs) look at how i can get her to the camera (laughs) this is like a world exclusive when does it drop todd tomorrow you got you got some you have no nose hairs at all on the I could say the same. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, th- this bike is um, this bike is that bike is on Emily's Instagram in fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no, I can't afford. Awesome. I can't afford this type of mistakes. Now I'm riders rep. I can't do this type of yeah. stuff. Need to be professional here. Is the six bar something that that might come in across the entire? intense lineup is that is that what they're looking at you know developing from the top or yeah yeah it starts at the top for sure like we've got a new um like we've got that tracer that came out that seth wanted to take you know put on the ews and it worked out pretty good but there's some flaws in that bike um you know they're they're not shy to say it like that's the one thing it's so it's really refreshing with these guys like jeff steber is not heels just like if anything there's some people internally that say jeff say less don't be so revealing don't be so transparent he just doesn't give a shit to be honest with you sometimes like he gives tons but he all into the bike he's not so concerned i think often by the politics and just the raw marketing as people have even said it like all oh, the bike could be this color it should be this is e-bike they said people look it looked fat it looked dumb there's all these things jeff is like numbers guy like make it fast make it work um he is so focused on that part i've learned from being around him where i'm not going to throw the other brands i've worked with under the bus right now but there are such marketing driven companies very careful very very coordinated in their in their what we're communicating what we're saying and um intense is just like let's go for it let's build the best bikes we let we used to be known um is you know one of the if not the top dh brand i mean people are running those bikes and under other labels right and so yeah um and they kind of want back there and they 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 knew it's like 
they didn't just hire Aaron because they're like, oh, he's just going to come out and he's going to start winning on our bikes immediately. He, they were like lots of conversation. And it was like, this is going to be a bit of a process, but let's bring our heads together and let's get this bike and get the world's fastest downhill bike. Um, I can, you know, I can hype it up next year and say, this is how good it's going to be or not going to be. We'll let the, we'll let the numbers talk for themselves, you know, and, and I'll, I will say it with a cocky smile, but, um, you know, I'd say let's bring it because I think some people are going to be surprised by what, what we can do on this new bike. So I, I can confidently say that. So, uh, I look forward to this year. Cool. Nice. So, um, big announcement last week by the UCR and ESO about changes to downhill and enduro. Um, we've talked about it in the intro and we've talked about it with uh, Richie as well. As a downhill team manager, what are your thoughts about the downhill rule changes? Well, uh, hey, uh, Emily, you're in the same boat. Can, <laughs> and I know it's not about, about you, but what's your immediate thoughts? um so we thought about it in the intro and i mean as um as like my personal opinion i already said like there's a few good things there's a couple of good things i think and there's also that semi-final format that i think could be problematic because it changes kind of the nature of the sport and that what run magic but um yeah that's something we ongoingly going through the riders at the moment so it's kind of hard for me to talk about it um, but for sure in the next few days, we're going to like take position, like the, the riders association is going to take position on it. But yeah, as a team manager, I guess it's a little bit different for you because you have like a different perspective. So it would be interesting to hear what, like from a team manager perspective, what, what would you think about that semifinal and everything that's been changing? Well, first of all, you see, this is always going on, right? It's like our yeah. team manager. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's constantly, there's a, there's a, there's a blue dot there because somebody's, you know, some guy named Bernard Kerr here is constantly. <laughs> Gosh. He's constantly in my, in my message. You know this guy? Yeah. And then I see some guy named Petey. Yeah. Sounds like a, sounds like some kind of dirty soil, but um, <laughs> anyways, it's like, you, I think honestly, here's my, my thoughts on it. First, we all have to define what success is because before we say what's successful, not successful, some people successful is a, is a big house on the hill and helicopters and Ferraris and, and other people. I know my friends, they want nothing. They want to live in the back of a camper van and that's all the wealth in the world for them. So I would say I'm very careful at saying what I think is best because it's what I, what my interests are and what my personal agenda is. Do I want to make more money as a manager? Do I want to find my way? You know, I just find the only thing that's tricky in this situation is um, I maybe it's just being young, but some people there's some um, being a little bit maybe hypocritical because they want more, but they want to do less or vice versa. Like, um, you know, they got they 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 kind of like, uh, yeah, you know, they want this, but then they got they don't realize what they're saying over here is the opposite thing, because if we're going to build the sport bigger and you've got a mechanic that's saying you underpay me um and i need to i don't have a house or i got kids or bills and i'm just using this example you know, of our program sometimes you know my goal is to how do we get that without just pushing on the sponsor all the time you should pay us more and so on so you know i think the way i look at it is um my personal i'd like to see the sport come away from being just a niche sport, like in our circle, just in our circle. I don't know what that's going to look like. Like I went through the snowboard era in the eighties, right? It was rad. It was like snowboarders were nuts and 
like sponsors were throwing money because I, I I trained some pro snowboarders and they came from the skate world and it was like just throw money at these guys and watch things blow up and they'll they'll go and have fist fights and they'll party and they'll you know they'll do all these crazy things and you know and then it became people said mainstream and then it got kind of boring and it kind of sold out somebody would say and then but is it still successful i don't know if it's due to that if it's not so i think our sport too i think i definitely am not smart enough 100 to know what the right path is to this success level that maybe suits everybody um I'm not in the entertainment world. I kind of understand that they're trying to get these numbers right for the show to be a certain length. Um, I have to believe that ESO and Discovery Channel, Chris Ball, everybody involved, I have to believe that they don't want to shoot themselves in their own foot. It's not like Chris is not, he, I think he's more educated in this world of racing than I am, um, as far as having a history with the UCI and stuff. They're thinking this through, but I don't think every decision they make can be one that's 100% the best. I think they're they're just balancing all these things, these plates, spinning them, and they're deciding which ones to spin, let one fall. It's okay. We can take that risk. And I think they're learning that there's going to be some new um, elements. And I think if we all sat down right now, we're all agreeing on every single part, and we're all saying, this is perfect, everything else, I'd be more frightened because I would feel like that's not true life. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I'm just going to focus on what I have control of. I have no I can put in my vote, but at the end of the day, there's all of us voting on this. So again, I'm just careful at saying, let's all just realize that first of all, like, hey, Bernard, I love that Bernard's in our group because Bernard brings up things I would never bring up. But then that's good because I might be missing the boat on something else. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's other guys out there that are like all for it, like 100% right behind it all. And they don't question anything. And I think that's good too, because I just think by us having a variety of people, such as life, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it makes our world go around better. I think if we were all like the same, we'd all be a bunch of robots mm-hmm. and this would be a real boring world. So I'm cool with the fact that I think we're going to grow this sport. I'm going to, I'm, I'm an optimist by heart. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's tricky, right? Like we think we're going to exclude uh, riders from our, from our big show and we're going to have less people being able to go race world cups but i just wonder is it going to take a little bit of growing pains for a few years and are we going to is this going to cause more series development in other places like canadian series needs much better development pro you know series so now there might be a need for it just like in the us just like in europe i know we have the ixs cup but i just think there's there could be more tiers of racing Mm -hmm. and i'm willing to try anything like you know, when I say I am, it's it's not my decision, but yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm, 100, I'm 100% willing to put mm-hmm. my effort into it. I don't want to spend too much time over here complaining because mm-hmm. then I'm not doing the stuff, which is I got to get done. So let's just get that stuff done. So I just told somebody this yesterday, somebody from our program, I, I don't spend much time in the rumor mill or talk much. In fact, when we do pink bike stuff in my stories, I got to be 100%, you know, my mom's you know, uh, may, may, may lightning strike down my mother or whatever you want to say. I don't read comments. Mm-hmm. I've never read when I'd done a training, when I did the privateer series on pink bike, I never once read a comment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can say that with all truth and all you pink bike people, I'm sorry, but I don't get <laughs> that. I just, I like to just communicate with like mm-hmm. people that do count like Emily and say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's what matters. Yeah, Not sure. somebody who doesn't have any involvement in it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, what 
what do your your writers think? Like, have you have you talked to them about like the new semi-final format and also like the fact that only top five overall are protected for like finals and stuff? It's like pretty big like changes. Yeah, but again, like I get into it only if they want to. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't if they want to come to me and voice, I'll listen. Like, you know. So what George will tell you with some age, sometimes the best thing we do is just listen. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, I just listen. And then if they want my opinion, I say, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't really, I'm going to stay neutral on this. Um, cause I see the, the, I see the negative and the positive of it all, but our riders have been, um, Dakota's very quiet. Mm -hmm. Joe has been back and forth a little bit. He's unsure. Seth just goes with the flow. Seth is like, He's a team player for sure. And Aaron, well, he's got a different responsibility. He's also team owner. So he's trying to be sure that if somebody wants to hear from him, like if somebody wants to ask his advice, um, he'll, he'll, he'll provide it, but it, he's pretty good at also just, um, you know, we just chat about it, but not screaming and yelling about things. Mm -hmm. He's not sure about the semifinals things. Like, you know, again, uh, Emily, like you're saying is the same thing. And it's like, I don't know. I just, I've been on both sides of the fence. Um, I think you have too, Emily, like I've been, when we had Performex Common Cell, we were basically a semi-privateer team or a privateer team. And, you know, you, you don't have riders maybe inside the top 20 or 30. I mean, we had Kyle Sangers and, you know, Remy Gauvet mm -hmm. banging away 50th through 30th every weekend in that beginning. So I probably wouldn't have been happy at the time. You know, I probably would at the, in the same place. So I don't want to be a hypocrite because I've been on both sides of the fence. So I just try and think about what affects us now. And I still think about the other teams. Um, but I'm also trying to think about like, you know, what do the viewer want? And they, they don't like, you yeah. know, all, there's a lot of things that that's you know, where I tried to come at it from as a, as a fan. Cause I'm not a writer, you know, as a fan, what, what's best for the fans? That was the, what, how I tried to look at it. Yeah. And I have to, I have to believe that, you know, the discovery and Warner brothers and the ESO group, like, <laughs> man if i if i thought i had advice for them on that side of things i mean <laughs> I, i'm completely a knucklehead i mean like they're not going to ask me about training or uh you know how to uh, yeah. book book ferry crossings you know so yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to i was trying to even yeah. think what i actually um yeah and enduro has been taken into the uci fold as well and um, that's that must be a positive yeah i, I think so what are you going to do you're going to race some are you going to race? I'm it? retired, so I'm not going to race anything. Yeah, every rider comes out of retirement. We'll just figure out not when that is. Not for Endura, at least. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's. I, I'm Enduro. If you don't want to, oh, even just, worse. Sure. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I don't want to go down any of these rabbit holes with you. No. But um, I think for us, like your team, you're you're still with Pivot this yeah, year. Yeah. 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 Yeah, of course. So like for both of our teams, you and I would probably really have a good chat about this. We've mm -hmm. got our EWS riders, EDR riders, mm -hmm. sorry. We have our EDR riders and we have our DHI riders um, now both under the World Cup. Um, and we don't have the XC riders yet, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, uh, so, um, you know, this fits nice, right? Because uh, for us, it's going to be a lot easier. I mean, whether it's people kind of, I, when I say people again, I mean, uh, I have to remind those that are also involved with us. Like it's, it's not as a big a show sometimes as it seems like there's us that drive the vans, um, have to get across like from the UK to mm -hmm. Austria and we have only a certain amount of time. And if you're going to get there and set up your pits, which our old pits used to take, I think almost 
multiple days. No, that's a bad joke, but it would take at least eight hours. And, you know, and then you got to try and figure all these numbers in. Like we literally uh, were running out of time sometimes with these events just to be prepared. And mm-hmm. then there's failures, vehicles. So anyways, I think just having it all under one umbrella is really cool. I think for the, I think for the fan and for the enthusiast, this is super cool because now, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, it's all there. It's in one package and um, it's cool. Like I, I think this, I, I'm so stoked about mountain biking right now. Like <laughs> the <laughs> racing, I, I think yeah. this is so good. And our numbers are good. As you saw Emily mm-hmm. re- recently, like we're still like, we're a success story. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Steph, had an incredible year on the WS. He was second in the overall and under 21. And he looks like he's really f- found his feet there. So what do you accept from, from him uh, next year? Yeah, it's, whew, this was so cool. Like that we, we kind of, it's really weird because we were expecting some good results, but then it really happened. It's, it wasn't a shocker, but it was just like refreshing because, you know, as you know, I'm was, I'm also his trainer. So with Performex. And so we, it was a good, Seth wasn't really known as a peddler a few years ago. Mm-hmm. He was kind of free ride Seth and everybody send it Seth. And, and <laughs> it was, okay, we got a new bike, Seth. We need somebody to race it. Uh, Dakota, you want to do it? He just turned around and walked the other way. Aaron, give me the weird looking eyes. Um, and, you know, and a kind of a, a gapping kind of like he couldn't, he couldn't even see me being in front of him anymore. So I knew that was the answer. And then I talked to Joe and Joe was focused on DH. So I was like, all right, Seth, how about you? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's go saddle up. He was just that guy. And he's like, sure, we need to get this bike out racing and I need to test it a bit more and get it right and market it a bit. And uh, he just wants to ride. And like always the young guys on the team, right. They just, they just want to ride. And so it was cool. He jumped on it and, just as soon as it start going, like he started, we start figuring it out. And for me as a trainer guy, I was like, all right, let's try and figure out how to make this guy be able to endure full days. And you couldn't just take the copy and paste from Richie Rude. Um, you know, in fact, I had to do the same thing with Casey Brown back in the day when Casey kind of went from being DH and she was like, mm-hmm. got people forget that she went into Trek as an enduro rider. And so it was the same thing. And, and Miranda Miller, same thing. Um, there was a bit of time I spent with her and it was just like trying to figure out because every there's body types and there's all these things. And so, yeah, with Seth, it was really fun project on both sides. Cause I was able to be team manager guy and try and set up his program. And him and I kind of ran that program uh, kind of separately from the race team a little bit. Like we, we kind of had the, cause obviously we weren't, um, you know, officially an EWS team so um yeah it was kind of cool and we just took it one step at a time but going into men's elite i don't know if he set any real goals but i think you know he's been lucky he's been well not lucky it you make your own luck i guess but he's riding a lot with richie with rude not you know obviously because of the perform x relationship but he's been they just had we just had a team camp here for perform x and we have i got a kelly uh cody kelly on board as well now and 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 uh richie's teammate uh kate lawrence so we brought them all out here and a few of the other performex athletes and it's cool to see like i hate i i guess it wouldn't be unfair to say richie's sort of mentoring him a bit like mm-hmm. richie's definitely helping him and it's cool to see them and um yeah i don't know like he told me recently he'd be really stoked on top 20s in men's elite I think that's totally reasonable. Last mm-hmm. year he had a few races inside the top 10 in like his his yeah. his 
U21 times were, um, you know, in the top 10 in men's elite. So we'll see what happens. So as his team manager, like, will these rule changes um, influence his career path? Because he's he was doing kind of doing both disciplines. So will that change now? Because it's like... No, it, it doesn't. I don't know how your guys are, how, how your team's going to do it. But uh, for us, it was the same thing. Like he missed two DH rounds last year um due to uh or wait a second he just he just missed he just missed one i think he just missed mount saint anne mm-hmm. um due to uh enduro yeah. but this year he'll have to miss looks like two right and so he said like it'll be one of those situations he's kind of free to make his own decisions it's really cool with our program that way um i think it, at least i think it's pretty cool he really ultimately has his final say um if he if you wanted to race enduro full-time or if you want to race dh he could actually choose either one of those paths but it's for him it's also good i mean he's still building on the side the i always say it the seth sherlock incorporated business right mm-hmm. so his own rider brand so he's like oh, i'm having some good success there so i'll continue but he will race dh this year and then most likely you know and, it, and i and i heard his dh goal is definitely inside the top 30. like he's he did it last year a couple times. Oh, I think he can so, do it for sure. Yeah, he just yeah. got a. We did some cool stuff with him. He's learning some new mental focus stuff that's really, I think, helps him a lot because he had crashes mm-hmm. and he. I think the, the the enduro thing taught him a little discipline mentally mm-hmm. and not push harder, to, but actually just stay very present mm-hmm. as a racer. So, um, yeah, I'm stoked. I can hardly wait to see. And who knows? Maybe maybe a few of our other guys might just show up at a EWS race <laughs> for fun. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I won't say anything, um, but. Cool. Um, so you don't have a female right on the team. Um, I know you train female athletes. And like you mentioned before with Performax, you had female athletes in the past. So is that something you're looking at for the future or? Well, I don't know. It's I think like you know this too, Emily. It's like, I don't think any of us make decisions based on do we want a male or female? Like, I don't, I've never made that decision, even with Norco. I mean, when I was started Norco, I don't know if this is a, um, uh, I don't know if this is a newsflash or anything, but a team was supposed to be Sam Blankensop and Emily Rego. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that was the team. We were built the team. Norco got started. It was those. And then Emily was like, uh, I'm, I think I'm retiring and, you know, just some things mm-hmm. in her personal life. And, but that was a team. So I never really looked at it as like, oh, it's a male, female. It's like, who's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Emily will tell you this. It's just like, it's like windows open and they close, like somebody's available and they're not, or you think you've got a rider that's capable, um, you know, on the program. And so um, I think we just kind of look at who's available. And of course, the percentage of male uh, athletes versus female um is i don't know is it i mean it's growing mm-hmm. on the female side but it's still yeah. always more of availability for, for us sure. and our sponsors are pretty cool nobody really thinks because yeah like they do talk candidly about like what 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 do you get better value from a top 10 woman or do you get it from a top 30 male like i hear those kind mm-hmm. of numbers that come up so it's like more like who's available if, you know i mean if emily was available like you never know right <laughs> <laughs> pull her out of the dark ages. Now that you show me that new bike, who knows, eh? Now that it's on Instagram. <laughs> so the other thing you do, of course, is perform X, as you, you know, we've talked a little bit about, but you, you famously train Aaron and Richie and Seth and a bunch of MTB and, and motocross athletes. 
Last time we spoke, I think you were about to launch the online program. I've seen quite a few videos of Richie doing stuff. I'm guessing it's going pretty well. Yeah, it's it's been it's been really. Thanks for bringing it up. I mean, uh, I'll I'll send you that twenty bucks later. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 really awesome. Um, for us, it's it was a long time in the making. I mean, this is uh, thirty one years for me for Performex. Uh, we just crossed thirty one years, and I, I always said to myself, like, I never ever go into this and say, oh, I, you know, I'm the best in the business, or you know, you know everybody else is stupid and I'm really good at this. Like, I'm like, I constantly have like, like figure that the proof is like not just in the results, but it's you existing still because you can bullshit your way through a few years. Yeah. And if it's not working, people will let other people know. So I, I felt like a long time ago, I said to myself, I wish I could be, I can't be everywhere myself. Um, maybe, in a, maybe Elon Musk will figure that out soon for us, but and, <laughs> It'd be scary to duplicate me, but oh my gosh, I'll save you that. But, um, you know, I thought, well, if I can do the online training, I can take these programs, I can make them quite affordable, which is a lot of people thought was pretty surprising how low the prices are. Like, you know, give you a month's worth of training for 50 to a hundred dollars. I never really pushed personal training. I'm not a person to go to the gym with somebody and that's nothing wrong with, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just not my thing. I'd rather give you the prescription and help you test do the assessment, give you the program and say, now go do that program. So it just builds that discipline a little bit. And, um, you know, so when I could take this formula and film it really well and then throw it online and show people what the 30 some years. And so we just passed a year and a half. I'd say that we're kind of like probably double where we expected to be um, with the number of people. And, you know, and um, yeah, it's really humbling. It's cool. It's really fun to interact with people and, um, if I can say anything, we've had, um, I'll pat myself on the back more than I'll even name drop all my big athletes. Um, we just about, we're coming up to 400 people and we've had one refund. That's, That's good. So, cool. One refund. And yeah. that was the only one person that said they didn't like this program. I'm like, cool. Like you figured it out. You know, what's right for you. And it's something else. You yeah, need I'm so- Sorry about that, Todd. I just, I tried the program and I just, it wasn't for me. <laughs> 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 oh, you're funny, buddy, aren't you? So on the last episode with Win, we, we discussed how it's hard hard now to be competitive at both Enduro and Downhill. It's getting a little bit more specialist. You need to kind of train for one or the other. Is that something you've noticed? Is that something you, you agree with? Because I know you, you work closely with Richie and I saw some videos of you talking to him after the EWSE and we, we talked to him a little bit before about that, about lighter riders being better what did, at the EWS. What did, what, did, what did Richie say in the interview before? Did he did he mention he may break that rule this year? He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So he did. yeah. Yeah. So you know what? I'm it's an ongoing thing. I, I I actually just I would reserve my opinion on it because it just be an opinion. I think you can do I think you can almost do whatever you set your mind to do. I mean I think you can I think people can, you know, if you want to you know, whatever you want to achieve anything. I think it's within your ability. I think the athletes couldn't do, I mean, the schedule might be the only thing that stops you. Yeah, you just got that's right. you can't do it, but could they do it competitively? It depends on the body type. I mean, it depends on the, how, how people recover. Some people recover really well. They put a lot of effort. Some people would never do it properly. And it's probably more a mental or emotional thing with people because they're like, it's pretty stressful. And you want to go racing and you're like, pie, you're expected of something really 
good as far as results. And then you got to repeat that process again. And it can start getting a little bit uh, overwhelming. But I mean, you look at how much pressure some of the athletes and people will name supercross and motocross riders, how often they race or um, even F1 racers. That's a pretty stressful job. Um, being a rock star on top of it, you know, and TV series and all that stuff. So I think they're more capable of than you think they are. And um, Seth and I actually have this chat all the time and wins a good friend of mine. So I don't mind throwing him under the bus. He's a bit of a whiner too. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, no, honestly, I think it's because when, honestly, if he was on here right now, I'd tell that SOB and he would, he'd, he'd be growling right now, but I would say, He's so ambitious. Like people have no idea when is fucking packing yeah. his every mm-hmm. day full. He, if he's not doing a comedy act and he's not doing a film, he's on his road bike riding over the Alps. Like he never stops. Mm-hmm. So if you have that personality and then you're trying to do more, it's going to feel super mm-hmm. overwhelming. Like he fills his day, like his cup so full, you know? And I mean, Emily knows cause she sees his brother and his brother's probably you know, in my opinion, balances that a little mm-hmm. less and, and just focuses a little more on what the job and, and I think it depends on the individual. So I think they can do both. I, I think you can do both and you just, um, and with like Seth and I, we're just going to take it almost race to race. If he needs to focus a bit more on the EWS, like put his head really in the game, go for a win, take a bit more risk. He might just back that intensity down a little bit at the world cup, just slightly and take the pressure mm-hmm. off himself. But He's really good at adjusting that. So I think it's possible. What well, what do you think about though um when you say body type? It's like someone someone that's like, let's say, very down on forces, very like powerful, explosive, like um, like having someone like Gami or like try to do enduro, like she would have to like train so much endurance because she's not an endurance type. She comes from ice hockey. Like we we talked about maybe like the downy rider, maybe like struggling to get through days you know like because they're not trained as much endurance as other athletes it's probably what might maybe judgment about doing both it's like the training might be quite different well i know at least with my training like i could have been able to like go through a, like two days of enduro racing for sure so i don't know what you think about that well to be honest with you i don't have much I'd say at least half of the training, it's about 60% of the training is the same between my enduro riders and my downhill riders, the gravity mm-hmm. rider, because I I don't follow the same path as a lot of riders. To be honest with you, I got a lot of athletes that come over and I just started with Julie uh, Duvart from, mm-hmm. uh, from France. And they're always mm-hmm. just started with her and they're always kind of shocked how much less training they do with me, mm-hmm. honestly, but there's mm-hmm. an opposite side. They realize how much attention to detail I have. It's not what they're used to. There's the fine little details, like the exacts mm-hmm. on certain things that are important, not just roundabout. So I, I'll, I'll do a different path. So if someone is go with another trainer, you know, and they go another path, that might be way too much to try and endeavor. With me, it's not going to be the situation because the amount of work we do, um, the load, I leave a lot of time for on bike and a lot of on bike training. And to me, the on bike is also where you're developing your physical fitness. You're you you're getting out there and you're doing your laps. Maybe you're shuttling, maybe you're pedaling. Richie and I and Seth will make sure that we got some big pedal days and we got some shuttle days to work on speed or to apply climbing within the speed because you need to feel fatigued to know how to perform going down as well. So we'll do things and we might even throw moto in there. We might even, we might get crazy. We might go to my garage and 
do a little circuit and then have to go ride laps. So without giving away my secret sauce, um, you know, I think it's not so much, I don't follow the same path. I'm not going to say that other people are wrong because I, I can't tell you that. Um, I can just tell you the formula I have works pretty good. My athletes, the big one that they do is, you know, I'm sitting here in front of my sheets right now. They do a lot of fitness testing with me. So, um, they do fitness testing and they do, um, and mobility testing as well. And I just got back from communicating. I was just in Bentonville and I had a chat with um, Annika Beerton. We were, I started working with helping her yeah, and yeah. it's like it, the volume is so much less. She just first thing again, but the big thing is the attention to detail. Like you're only as good as your greatest weaknesses. So that wouldn't even, if that, that could be, I would say definitely when you start going into the XC world, then there's a whole different engine running. There's a whole yeah, different yeah. body type, but if you're at the top, you're probably, if you're Richie Rude, you're probably not going to get to the top XC. I mean, yeah. forget, <laughs> forget the trainer, right? It's not mm -hmm. the trainer. No, yeah. I, I'm only a small part of his success or the way he changes. And so with Aaron Gwynn or anybody. Mm -hmm. So I think when you start, it's like a, what, a, a gymnast. And no mm -hmm. matter how determined you are, if eventually you're six foot seven and 300 pounds, you're probably not going to make it as a professional gymnast. Or vice versa, you're not going to be in the NBA or professional basketball if you're a gymnast build. So I think we start wiggling ourselves, but I think the gravity sports, enduro, EDR, um, and the World Cup downhill or downhill stuff, it's um, it's not, in my opinion, that far off from each other. Um, mm -hmm. It's more strategizing on how you perform at an EDR race um, and how you, you know, how much effort. I mean, a lot of people forget this, Emily, and like, you've got a pretty good background because you've done a lot of training and you work with Cami, right? And so mm -hmm. I think she's got a good, good background in this and she understands it. Most people don't know that you can only go a hundred percent for under three seconds. Like mm -hmm. your hundred percent effort is maximum like three seconds. People don't recognize that. So any of these sports, like even when I hear people say, I gave it my hundred percent today. No, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> on a downhill run for a hundred percent for three to five minutes you you wrote it probably if scientifically you probably wrote it 83.5 or something if you did the real hard science you know and and so you'll notice that some people might you know they might uh and and we forget the dh is also quite enduring because you've got multiple laps and then yeah, sure. you not only got multiple laps but you do a real hard thing on your physical ability you go hard then you sit for anywhere between 30 and 60 minutes, which is actually hard physiologically wise, because your body starts going into recovery mode. And then you're going over to your mechanics, getting your bike set up, maybe getting something changed quick, or maybe you're just getting a sandwich or you're heading back up. I don't know, but you're not repeating laps one after another. That's actually really mm -hmm. physically hard. So where at least the enduro rider keeps that flow. And, and so it looks more enduring because of the duration, but there's something I studied this a long time ago. I had the fortunate to be able to use a lab and I actually studied Stevie Smith on this, you know, when I started with Stevie and I said, let's look at what happens with the body because I was new to the downhill world as a trainer. I was a moto guy and I was like, I want to really figure this out. What kind mm -hmm. of effort you guys put out? Um, and, and so I kind of started, you know, if I'm going to let a little bit of the secret out of the bag, people are just looking at cardiovascular fitness musculature strength or let's say leverage how much mm -hmm. leverage you create through your skeletal system but there's a third component that's i think often missed 
and it's called your energy system. It's your 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 Krebs cycle, your energy system that runs these. Okay, and if you can use your training to affect that, but somewhere in the middle of that energy system is the one is the system you've been given from birth or your genetics and your body type. So if you can kind of figure out through testing how your anaerobic system works versus your aerobic system, then to me, you can start. So that's a much bigger factor than whether you tell me you want to race downhill or enduro. Mm -hmm. Way bigger factor. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's really interesting. Like we could, I could talk about this all the time. <laughs> but I started to keep this going. Don't get um, started. <laughs> so you mentioned being in Bentonville with Anike. Anike is a very good friend of mine, actually. And you mentioned as well the mobility testing. And that's like, I mean, I'm following you on Instagram and I see when you do testing with the athlete, that's a mobility and like, like, you know, health and base fitness, um, is like a, a big focus of yours. And, um, so Greg Minar has been doing all this mobility testing. So how important is that to you? And has it changed, evolved in recent years as since you started? Yeah. The fitness testing really turned around for me. Um, well, not turned around. I used to do like, you know, like, let's say we were like VO2 max tests. We were doing back in the day we learned in school, VO2 max, or then you go and learn your bench press rep maximum, your squat maximum, your deadlift. Let's just say those traditional. And I still might do that at some point with an athlete I've spent a few years with just to, for, I, I would, I wouldn't want to say shits and giggles, but I just sort of do it to see where a benchmark is with us. But for me, I really found this connection with concept equipment because I saw this equipment that had rower, they had a bike and they had a ski machine. And when I looked and did the research on, you know, sports science, those are three big, like some people would argue that a rower is some of the fittest people in the world. Nordic skiers are some of the fittest, fittest, like depends on what you judge fit, um, running a marathon or a hundred meters. It's, there, there's, there's a, there's a, it's an argument. There's a debate there, but overall i could see and then a bicycle so to me they were bringing this equipment in and i said i can cover the whole body with these three pieces of equipment and then i could see what somebody's maximum output was available let's in my test i do it for 20 seconds and then i could also compare that over to another test which is three minutes on each piece that number um i don't mind revealing because there's just knowing that number is not enough it's you have to know the science what 20 seconds and three minutes due to the body. And if you space them at the right distance with a rest period and the combination of them, it reveals a lot to me. That's what those sheets were I just showed you. Mm -hmm. You can kind of go into seeing what somebody's strength is like by doing 20 seconds, and you can get to see what their, let's call it endurance is like when you do three minutes. And then you can compare those numbers. And what I bring into it is also their body weight. So you see their weight to horsepower ratio, because in this sport, you guys as bicycle riders, your bikes have a very small factor versus motocross. Motocross bikes mm -hmm. are heavy. They're heavier than the rider, you know, but you're, you're way overpowering. So your weight to horsepower ratio is huge. So us to find the magic, like some people gain five pounds of, let's say muscle. I've never seen anybody gain five pounds of body fat and get better, but gain five pounds of muscle, let's say. Um, and does that equal more performance on the bike? Do, well, downhill, they should be a little quicker because of gravity, weight, it's called inertia. But at the same time, maybe it's more, it requires too much energy, that extra five pounds, and then they, they can't endure long enough. So there's a lot figured out with that. But then the mobility test is the opposite. And I don't mind saying it's, I use the functional movement screen, the FMS. It's not my system. It was the guy in the US 
And what blew me away is he came in and he tested the Canadian Olympic program much years ago. And I was fortunate enough to be around for that. And they were able to, by testing men's Alpine ski team and the women's Alpine ski team, when they were done the test, he showed the numbers and he ran the numbers and he said, here's your top six and one through six in the male and one through five in the female in the test. And all the staff were on board, the coaches, the trainers, they watched the test and they were like, okay, we see how you did it. And they said, okay, so you see the scoring, there's your number one guy. And they went, they all started laughing. They said, well, that's our number one guy in the team by far. And he was by far better in the test. And uh, the sixth place guy was like the worst guy on the team and happened to actually get cut within a week after that event, not because of the test, but like it was parallel, absolutely between Mm -hmm. performance in the real world and what they did in this functional movement screen. And then we developed the functional movement screen in a way for two wheelers. So for um, moto and mountain bike, because what I learned is for you guys is it's not just how well you move on the bike. So you can explore better riding position. You can explore uh, more skill development. You're dealing with injury management. So Emily, when you're riding down that mountain as fast as you can go, you're going as quick as you believe as you can fall. In reality, even whether you're not, you're not consciously thinking about it, but you're subconsciously going, I can handle this because I mean, I've, I've chatted with some of the top riders about this and you know, it's like, you have to come back with a positive effect. In other words, you go, you let the brakes off a little more, you go a little faster and there's an outcome. I remember sitting at a while ago at um, Retallic Lodge with Emery Perion. We were there for some off season riding and fun. And we chatted about this and it's like, you know, if you have three or four good runs, uh, positive results, you don't fall, don't get hurt. And then you have one that's bad that can knock those three, four off the, and then you're building back up. So to me, the mobility shows me not only, you know, it shows me what the, what a person is capable of doing. So that support themselves in a fall, but also what they're willing because in these mobility tests, you have to support your body. So they're not just lifts or power output. They're mm-hmm. actually supportive of the joint and they're pretty difficult positions sometimes. And then you also see, so it's been really revealing for me and then trying to use these and apply these and then okay sure you do a test and you get some results what do you do with those numbers it's one thing to find them out but mm-hmm. what do you do about it so uh, through my training i'm, I'm trying to develop because mobility also provides um it actually provides strength and mobility will also provide endurance because if you can mm-hmm. move over a greater range and the range you work within is even only this big let's say for example you can your range of your hip is like this but you only work within this well, in that sweet spot right there, you've got so much room that believe it or not, it's not very overwhelming to your energy system, to your respiratory system, or to the muscle output because it's so well within its reasons. But if you're working within this range and your limitations are there, then you're so close that that extra work to get that close to your parameters is causing your heart rate to be up, your rest, which then means your respiratory system, your energy system. So people don't see this. So the real goal is to also become efficient. So you can build incredible efficiency. I think Greg Menard is a good example of being an efficient rider. If you, I've, I've gone running with Greg, you know, in Austria, in Australia many years ago. And we kind of joking around about some stuff. I remember one time about, you know, you know, cardiovascular and how you can overdo things and underdo things and strength. And I think he's learned to really hit that sweet spot as well. Like, and he understands his body type. 
But then you've seen an influence of all these riders in the last few years. Look at the body types of like Lloyd Bruni, um, mm-hmm. Amory Pirion, like, like that you look at they're, they're athletes. I mean, these guys have got, they got, they got asses on them. They got big quads. They're, mm-hmm. they're strong in their lower. They got shoulders. They're like, these guys look like real athletes. And Aaron kind of probably people saw that first out of Aaron a few years ago. And now you got, so, but you know, I mean, it's, um, and, and, and you know, I, I can never get, you know, people behind the scenes think, um, they'll joke around. They're like, well, what about the guys that don't train or whatever? You know, you can't, there's a lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes. You don't know about. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember watching Bernard and Eddie busting their ass in New Zealand with, uh, what was his name? Ari, the old trainer. Yeah. Ari Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, you know, like 10 years ago, they were grinding in there. There were, I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember Bernard screaming, like somebody was, you know, probing him you know and it was <laughs> no true story yeah, 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 yeah. it's so true the stuff you say even yeah. like it's stuff that i haven't worked out like the bit about you only go as fast as you can crash like yeah it, that's like answered like i don't know i've never thought that before but now i'm like that's so true there's there's no crash bag there's these guys these guys and you're protecting your head if you look at the mm-hmm. athletes i mean look at my thumb has almost been ripped off i mean i raced motocross and i mean it goes on right <laughs> my elbow doesn't look that very <laughs> you know that's a cut my tricep right off so i'm only i'm also talking on experience like mm. I, it's like i'm giving you like i'm proud of all my scars but no they're just they're just honest like i pushed i raced vet motocross world championships a few years ago and got you know sixth in the world in the plus 40 class and the expert class and i know what it's like that stress and that and i've experimented with myself but even after all that and i'm telling you guys about my mobility testing i'm still reading books like this you know they're sitting at my table you know i'm what am i in i'm that far into the book there's my folded page and i'm reading it for the second time you know if i think i know it all if i think i can sit here and tell you guys like oh i'm the man like i know what i'm doing absolutely i question everything i do so the online training man that's where it's all all this stuff i've dropped it on there we fed it with as much as we can provide it with and it'll be updated and uh you know frequently like we just did we created some off-season programs so that's the latest and greatest that's on there and again a balance between affordability and then being um is uh what do you want to call it as uh transparent with the training Mm -hmm. as possible Okay. Something that really shortly want to bring up is that, um, like skills training, like mountain bike skills training. I've heard like you've got, uh, John Borelli on board, like to coach some of your riders. Uh, I believe he's working with, uh, Richie a bit. So what's the main focus, um, of Johan when he's working with some of the best athletes in the world? Well, it's the skills, right? It's, uh, that's really important. And again, you know, a good one here is, um, George, you, you, you could put this up. There's a, there's a, it came out of your country. It came out of the UK, uh, 16 years ago, they released it on pink bike and it's the science of downhill. If anybody, we forget to get this link, you just look it up, just Google search okay. it science of downhill and put pink bike after that because it was on there, but nobody really read it. And it's this big article that was done. I think it was Manchester university. And it basically proved in there that in there, it proved that skills development was still the number one thing that could improve a rock skill development and it wasn't vo2 max it was like not it was not mm. a, not relevant nobody got faster in downhill because their vo2 improved 
Um, I've heard that there's a few top riders that were involved in this test and they kept their names off of it, but it's a few top UK riders and it was a year and it was a big group and um, grip strength was huge. You improve mm-hmm. their grip strength, their lower back. And I started researching and I thought, well, I can sit back and tell you how friggin' smart I think I am, or I can just look at research. And, and I studied it and I was like, okay, I'm going to try and figure this out. And I, I thought about how, when I introduced motocross to Stevie Smith, you know, I was thinking like his forms were sometimes an issue. And so we started using that as a tool. So, um, yeah, like for me, um, y- you know, it's, 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 um, uh, there's, uh, like, there's all this science about like skill, like in there, it just basically proved that skill development was one of the, the biggest components. So I was like, well, I'm not a bike coach, like an on bike coach. I'm not a skills guy. I did t- teach some motocross back in the day. Uh, when I had my camps for motocross and I knew how big it was on the riders, it wasn't just the fitness in the mental game and the nutrition. It was a huge part to learn on the bike skills. And then when I saw this research on this and it said that bike skills was still like the number one thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally saying this and telling you, like, I'm not as important as the bike coach, in my opinion, maybe for some people who have a ton of skill, you, they might be different. They might need the fitness more. And then some people might have tons of fitness, but they need bike coaching. So I really was impressed with Johan doing things. Like, I think he's been around. He raced. I mean, I actually had a chat one time with Loic about this about many years ago about Johan. And Loic was like, man, that guy's been. And same with Blinky. Blinky actually had some good things to say. And then seeing him around, you know, the Sea to Sky, Vancouver and uh, Whistler, et cetera. Uh, we spent more and more time riding together. And I think we both just gotten to know each other and better and better over the years. I remember going years ago with him and I and Finn Isles. And um, um, Marcelo Gutierrez and just watching how he interacted with these guys and how he was like good at confidence building and seeing, identifying, like I was watching him work with some of the best, you know, two Red Bull athletes. And he was just, I thought, man, he's got some stuff here. He's, he, he, he's got such a like personal energy and so positive and maybe some people it's whatever too much, but for my formula of being, staying in that positive mindset and that kind of person that reinforces skill development, he just seemed to check all those boxes. And I was like, hey, do you, would you like to kind of join forces a bit more? And he's like, for sure. So we sort of just did some rides together and and then he got Kate Lawrence and Richie going. And I think he did, I think they'll, they'll, I know they'll agree. Like it's huge. He just got done working with Kate again uh, last week or two weeks ago. And just the small things and he he can identify in a rider, like his big one with Richie was, okay, you're super strong and you're fit, but why not? Why don't we learn ways for you don't have to use as much of that fitness. You can be more efficient, like riding with more trial skill or maybe riding pumping when you don't. And he was showing Richie on this trail, like where he could ride a section of a trail from one, let's call it three, 400 yards that he could ride it as fast or faster without pedaling than he was previous to this, where Richie was just grabbing gears and grinding, as you'd say. And he was like, by just picking your line, being more efficient on the bike, pumping the bike differently. And then of course we seen, we noticed Richie was putting out left effort. His heart rate was lower and he was actually quicker in that same. And it was those little details that are really cool. And I think Johan's been around, he's raced, you know, EWS and um, yeah, but it's like, his personality is just infectious. It's, it's cool when you get him out there, like mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't look at his watch and decide, you know, when the session starts and stops, he just, he's so passionate and it's hard to beat. 
And uh, it's been awesome. And I can't wait. We're going to go. We got some pretty big things planned for the next couple of years. So I'm really excited. So it's the off season right now. And it's a late start for the World Cup DH season, next season. So what have you got you guys doing right now, training-wise? Well, they almost all start near the same if they're new. They all kind of do a lot of uh, unilateral work. So one side of their body, left and right, independently. And then I do a lot of reciprocating work, which means pushing and pulling. Because I really believe every joint has um, has a purpose uh two-way so if you look at your body you push you can pull if you look at your let's say your bicep it can pull and your tricep can push every joint has that so your quadricep hamstring and there's all your body every joint has an opposite muscle so what we do is that's so i think told this to george before and maybe some of the listeners but that's where perform x came from so perform was If you could perform X, you should be able to perform Y. My professor gave me that name. Some people think it was got to do with <laughs> motocross. Like they see MX in the end. It's got nothing to do with motocross. This was like 10, 15 years before I was ever introduced to motocross. Um, my scientist, my, my professor, uh, Dr. Reese said, yay, Mr. Perform X in the class once, because I used to always say to him, Hey, if the shoulder can perform, you know, x internal rotation what should be able to perform y external rotation shouldn't there be some balance because we're telling athletes to just go to the gym and just get stronger but couldn't they be getting too strong in something and not strong enough in another wouldn't that support a bad unhealthy joint and he's like i think you're on to something so i took out the gray's anatomy book And I studied and I, I stole some ideas from some really good trainers, uh, Charles Polquin, uh, Bampa, and I started seeing him. I don't know if anybody knows this, but there was past history, one of the Olympics, 76, maybe the Bulgarians were doing the world record bench press. And um, the, one of the reporters walked in the back to do some interviews and everybody was warming up bench press warm ups before they go on stage for the Olympics and set the world record. And she somehow got into the Bulgarian room and they saw a, a video of all the Bulgarians weren't doing chest press in their warm ups. They were doing back rows, the opposite. <laughs> and they were like, wait a second, what's going on here? And they had set all the world records and everybody was like, well, they just use more steroids of their body type. But no, they were everybody was on the same playing field and they were beating people. So a lot of trainers fed off of that. So right now my athletes are doing a lot of balancing their body left and right and uh, push and pull. So reciprocating movements. And also there's a period of capacity work. So strength work. And there's a period of, let's call it um, building um, mobility. So some stick work, a lot of stuff that's got no resistance. Your body is its own resistance and you're doing movements um and then we start getting into some big strength work right about now we're starting to lift some like olympic style lifting so you know big compound movements like you traditionally know the squats the cleans the you know bench press back rows all those big movements but soon i i shift them i've got a trainer that works for me now too it's a young guy i was in bentonville with and he's like i call him my kettlebell and conditioning specialist and <laughs> this is I believe our secret weapon right now, and I'm going to say it not for promotion, but it's pretty cool. It's um, Addison comes from a road cycling. He raced professional road cycling in Belgium for a team back in the day. And he's in his thirties. And then he just came home and he decided that um, he was going to become a top CrossFit guy. And he actually became one of the top competitive CrossFit. So I, when I first met this guy, I was like, wow, here's a guy that's done extreme on both. Two runs, like, like, yeah. Pro road cycling yeah. and lifted some heavy weights. Like he's put, 
um, 300 pounds over his head. So, um, you know, and it's always like, okay, I think he's got something he's learned through this experience. So we brought him on board and he's going to, sh- a lot of the athletes will go. So it's not just me anymore. They'll shift into a few weeks with him um, doing really dynamic kettlebell work. So really untraditional movements. A lot of my movements, as you might know, Emily, it's a lot of hip hinging, mm-hmm. a lot of shoulder hinging, a lot of replicating um, the bike movements, if you want to call it. But now we'll go into some really unorthodox, really super untraditional movements, because I believe that brings more balance back to the body. Otherwise, we get very undynamic, we get very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good for us to still be very uh, multi dimensional. So if you look at the research on cross training, not CrossFit. CrossFit's cool too, in, in its own way, but cross training, an athlete doing as many things as possible, like playing hockey, like um, mm-hmm. riding motocross, like rock climbing. These things can also be very inducive to building your performance than just being one thing. And if the one thing I, when I came into the sport with primarily with Stevie Smith at 12 so years ago, mountain biking, DH, I just saw a lot of athletes just like, I remember talking to Cedric Grassi about this when I entered, I just chatted with some of the best and they were just like pounding stationary bikes, just like road cycle training, just like everybody (laughs) just doing because they just, they couldn't see outside of that, just pedal, pedal, pedal. And I was like, man, you guys are kind of like in, you know, I kind of thought it was like, there's a, there's a limit. You're going to get to a certain place and you're not going to go any further. So why would you do any more other than to have a dislike for eventually training? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but it's completely true. Yeah. yeah. You know? I try and keep the training for me. I think the human spirit is huge. I, I got to love yeah. it. Yeah. That's why I stay away from the words. You'd see if you follow me on Instagram, I stay away from the grind, the pain cave, all that shit. If you're, if this training is that much of a torture to you, my gosh, Go, go just go become a you know free rider or something like it should be fun like i like mm-hmm. to i love it like I, I went in the gym last night and it's really cold here because i like challenging myself to this stuff and it's I, i'm one of those people that i think frequency is important often but small doses mm-hmm. not these big super big workouts that are you guys are working so hard during the season as athletes and see i still say you Emily, because you're still an athlete. And you know, even if you're retired, you're an athlete and, and athletes are athletes. And you, there's so much work being put out throughout the race season, um, riding and practice laps and how intense it is. So the last thing you need to do, my opinion, is go into the off season and just blast yourself with so much training that I feel like you're you're kind of burned out for the summer mm-hmm. and mentally and emotionally and physically. And so this year, we're bringing in motocross bikes a lot more. KTM has stepped up their support of me. They've always supported me, but now I'm getting a, a fleet of bikes. So you're going to see stuff in the future where everybody comes out here in April and we're going to go riding um, locally and we're going to add that in. And I mean, let's be honest, even if it's training, you don't really see it as training. You just sort of like, this it's is fun, sick. isn't it? Yeah, it's like fun. off-road, little motocross day. We'll do a track day. We'll do an off-road day. And it's like, I try and really bring that in. I try and... And then there's stuff you just got to do. You just got to face yeah. it. Like, even if it's not your favorite thing, you got to do a 4,000 or an 8,000 meter row. It's not like you're sitting on the rower just going, oh, this is so fun. No, it can be kind of horrible, but you, you, it's it's not every day. Like I tell the athletes, it's yeah. it's once every couple of weeks and it, you got to go for it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we could be here forever at the training. 
one last <laughs> one last thing I want to ask you about because I thought it was really interesting. Neuro capture assessment. Tell us a little bit about that because I saw you you, you had Richie with the well, all the guys with the the helmets on with the electrodes in and stuff. And it, I believe it's is it measuring balance or something like that? To tell yeah, us about two things. Neuro catch is also like it's it's looking at. Um, it, it's looking at brain function. Okay. So it's yeah. looking at your various brain functions. In fact, I've got all my uh, paperwork here from the test and we just got back. We just got all our, uh, our results back from the test from NeuroCatch. And it's pretty cool because you get, um, I didn't even know you're going to ask the question. So, but it's pretty cool. Like you literally get, um, you know, you get, to understand the way your brain works that's basically your yeah, brain i i ne- i'll never forget like matt walker saying to me at one point my brain can just process this stuff faster than yours and it, it's true 100 it's the the auditory um sensation and then you've got your basic attention and then you're looking at cognitive process so this 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 neuro catch we were really fortunate um I've got a connection with somebody. This should be thousands of dollars to do this test. Yeah. And we are fortunate to get some support. You know, you bang away at this stuff for 31 years and you start making friends in high places. So mm-hmm. I have, and this is incredible. This with Seth has been like mind, like mind blowing, uh, yeah. excuse the pun, but it's, it's been incredible. We've learned through the process where we think Seth has been, for example, dealing with, sort of lack of attention and it showed right on his report like he, they knew nothing about him they didn't even know his they just knew his first name and they came in and did the test and he, you have to do all these um this series of tests with words and you have, you're thinking about them and mm-hmm. you have to respond and all this stuff and it shows you your ability to stay focused or your uh it, it, literally i am still in shock about this thing it is incredible um I hope that this can be brought to more people in the future. I got a test and that's the neuro catch part of it. So it's looking at those big things, the auditory, the, you know, uh, sensation, and then your, your, yeah, your tension and then your cognitive and it breaks each one of those down into these tests. The other part was the balance test. Like you said, George, yeah. and the balance test, you'll see us in my little Instagram. You're basically inside this, you know, this uh, machine and uh, the floor is moving at different speeds and different angles. And you're there and you eyes open, eyes closed, and you're looking at your uh, coordination and your what we call your writing and uh, tilting reflexes as well. And that was really cool because it revealed a lot about where you, you your proprioception is and where you are in space, as they call it. So you understand the movement and stuff. So it was really cool. Like it picked up on Cody Kelly's um, without him giving any previous information. As soon as he went in the machine, they're like, ah something's wrong here. And he's like, uh, yeah, I had a serious concussion this year. And they were like, yeah, your scores are super low. And like, like, and it looks so subtle. The floor is mm-hmm. barely moving and nothing's really, it's really, really subtle. It's not like standing on an exercise ball or something. It's these very limited parameters that bring in this real fine detail. And sure enough. And of course the test was like, you know, I don't mind saying this, like Richie scored like they say, kind of off the charts. Like he he was good on the neuro catch. He was amazing in the balance test. And they were like, I was like, well, he's got the Red Bull helmet. He's got the championships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it, it like it pretty much was a parallel, you know, and it was pretty cool. Like I even went through the test and I can tell you right now, the neuro catch showed me I 
I get distracted. You probably hear it in this conversation sometimes, like I'll go down and path. <laughs> no, I do, right? I, I can't be a liar. You know, it's like I'm learning. I learned this all mm -hmm. in my own transparency. Like I've got some weaknesses. I got some stuff I got to work on. I got to meditate as much as I try with my dogs, go out and do these things. I, I think it's, it, I can see that because like in my head, I've, I think if I turn up to a racetrack and I know the track, yeah, I, I'll have my, one of my, a decent result. If I, it takes me ages to learn a track. I just haven't got the concentration to know, to remember it. I just, I, I set off out the start gate. I get a couple of corners in and I just, I can't remember where I'm going. It's just, I, but if I know if I've ridden it 30 times before, I can, I don't have to think about it almost. And then I can concentrate on riding. Does that, does that make sense? Do, do oh, you know what yeah. I mean? These riders are phenomenal. Like yeah. her, the way she can do it, like, that over us, like she can go down a course and like, like I said to you in my last podcast, you can be walking down the course with them. And then you're wondering if they were like, they, I see them paying attention, but mm. yeah, once, you know, once in a while they chat with somebody and it's cool. And I'm like, I'm pretty cool. I just then sit back and if they ask any advice. I don't have anything to say. Otherwise, you know, just show up for your team photos is what I always say, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, really. And, but mm -hmm. then, these guys will get to the bottom and these girls and they'll get to the bottom and they'll, they'll be like, Emily will be like, yeah, Bernard, do you remember that, that 27th corner? And there's that gray rock with the, with the little white mark in it. And could you go on the inside? And they'll, and I'll be like, how do you remember that there was even 27th corner? Like, and hmm. you know, that's a, you know, an exaggeration, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, For sure. You know, and it's, it's just simple, George, it's just practice. I mean, mm -hmm. it's some of it's probably genetic, they probably have gotten to the top because they've got that gift, but yeah. they, I believe it's also just like the 10,000 hour rule. They've, yeah. they've repeated it. They're so good at their attention and they can go back. And, and again, it's an example of if Emily is like, knows that like is seen the course that well, she'll go that much faster than you and I, not just because of her fitness, not just because of her skill development, but her just absolute, like it's me too. I'm the same way. My mo home motocross track, I can run closer to the fast pros in yeah. my motocross mm -hmm. track. I'm not yeah. that far off. But if we go to another track, an alternative track that we both don't know very well, the gap is massive. Yeah, right. exactly. That's exactly because how it is. Yeah. Gap, their risk-taking will also be more, um, they'll take bigger risk. There's a bigger risk factor in that less known track um that i'm going to take because of my bad shoulder and my hips and all these excuses like you know there's this kind of bullshit thing that people say once in a while like oh i'm i got nothing to prove or i got a job on monday to go to so those guys are crazy or those athletes are nuts um or they'll they're ballsy or whatever that it's kind of it's a it's actually not true i don't believe emily wants to get hurt any more than the person who works on monday or mm -hmm. doesn't She's in the same, she doesn't want to get hurt. Well, I think we take the same, we all probably take the same amount of risk. I believe if you go to the bike park and you watch beginners all suited oh, yeah. up, bad form, they're taking just the same amount of risk as yeah. she is when she's going at full beans and winning a world cup. It's just, we go to our outer limits where our body knows any little bit further and we're going to go on the ground and it's going to hurt and we're going to be injured. And it's a self-preservation. So their memory and their ability to, she did a couple of runs down a track or I think even she's going up to a jump face and she's recognizing that jump face and she knows what that jump face is going to do or what that angle is going to do or what that root's mm -hmm. going to do. So she'll just hit it faster. We're, we're not sure as much. And so there's a lot of these things, but mm -hmm. yeah, the, the brain is, 
it's it is literally the the biggest part of this well, look fantastic to speak to you again always dead insightful to have you on on the pod and, and i'm sure it'll give the listeners something to to think about over the christmas period i know there's plenty for me to to take away from that and best of luck to you and the guys that intense next for, for next season well thank you very much thanks for having me on again let me promote a little bit of our online training and people can <laughs> always go to the the website at performxtraining.com send me a message i always answer i really do um, oh, you do you do genuinely yeah, just you've got a question um i can help you with any of this crap you might even if you disagree or agree but otherwise um emily i'll let you because this is for her okay because she's a manager now let's just check on <laughs> one of your teammates he's back there so now that it's not is a that jacob Jewett. yeah jacob's back there you can actually <laughs> see yeah. Through the forest, he might. Oh uh, yeah, okay. What's he doing right now? I can't <laughs> tell. He looks like he's a, he's pretty much a good boy all the time. So he's just right there. He's probably walking his dog, or <laughs> he's probably getting ready to. Still, he's out there in the trail building mm. all the time. But yeah, he lives actually. Just so you're aware, he actually lives. Does about, uh, does Dane um, live there as well? Well, unless they kicked him out of his house, because he's kind of okay. the. He's, he's kind of he, a little bit of the bugger, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was asking. Jake's the, Jake's the good boy, but what's the other oh, one doing exactly? Yeah, I, 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 I see. I, I like, I like, I like, it's kind of cool. I see Dane walking around. He looks like he's got a little more, they call it tude, a little bit of attitude. He's kind of yeah. like looking me up the eye where Jacob's just always really pleasant. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that they both have each other to mm. see the differences. You know, it's uh, they're pretty sweet. So. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's it for another episode. Thanks to the sponsors of the show, Hope Technology, JTEC Suspension, Revolution Bike Park, Ride Southern Spain, Schwalbe and SingletrackWorld.com. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you've got a sec, please drop us a review. Alternatively, please give us a follow on Instagram at Making, at making Up The Numbers Racing or Facebook.com slash Making Up The Numbers. Thank you to everyone for listening and sharing the podcast this year. We were doing pretty good before this season, but it's... Uh, it's all gone a bit bonkers the last few months. So a big thank you. Merry Christmas and a very happy new year to you all. We'll be back in 2023. This has been the Mammoth Production for Making Up the Numbers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.